Podcast listeners, do you enjoy the show every week? We assume you do. Why else would you be listening? Well, if you love one show, you'll love two even more. It's time to join the Let's Run.com VIP Supporters Club, and you can listen to our bonus podcast every Friday. Sign up now. Go to Let's Run.com slash subscribe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. As always, plenty of topics to discuss in the world of running. The first professional meet at the new Haywood Field is in the books. We're going to break that all down in great detail. The Drake Relays are back, baby. Teenagers Nico Young and Cole Hawker have both run insanely fast for 5,000 meters. We've got drama in Boulder with Tin Man Lee. And at the end of the episode, we've got a terrific interview with Australian 1,500-meter champion Jai Edwards on his journey from 341 to Tokyo in just six months. I am your co-host, Jonathan Gold, and I'm joined now by co-founders of Let's Run.com, my bosses and my co-hosts, Weldon and Robert Johnson. Guys, how are we doing on this fine Tuesday morning? The brain trust of Let's Run.com, John, the brain trust. Proper titles on the. Uh, doing very well, John. It's an unusual Tuesday podcast. Time to crack one open and enjoy a nice cold one. What specifically is the cold one in your hand right there, Robert? Well, John, I think I've only briefly talked about this in the podcast, but I just tried to go for 28 days of sobriety to increase my. To prove that I don't have a drinking problem and to increase my odds of fathering a second child. But, and I think it's over. I may have skipped a week. It may have only been three weeks. I need Weldon to go back and do a Google Translate of the podcast because there was a podcast where you asked me if I was drinking on this show. And I generally don't do that. So that was actually day three of my sobriety. So if Weldon can go back, I could confirm that it's been 28 days, but it's good. I'm drinking a cherry Coke. I don't even need alcohol anymore. I did go to the non alcoholic beer at one point. Folks, young kids, it's all overrated. You don't need the booze. You just It's just something to fill time, I realize, at night when I'm working on the website till like 2 a.m. All I did instead was like eat a lot of ice cream or drink a lot of Cokes. I just like to have something in my hand. I'm a little nervous when I'm working. Bite on my shirt sometimes. There you have it. So, Robert, was this 28 straight days or was there a one-week intermission in there at some point? No, no, 28 straight days. When I say it may have only been 21 days, I just, it seemed to go by really quick. It didn't seem to be that hard. So I thought maybe I miscounted. And I'm putting this out. We've been recording video on the back end. Video of this podcast will be out to subscribers. You can see us. Then they would know right off the bat that Robert didn't crack open a coal when he cracked open a cherry coke by the way i was actually reading with the new servers that we use to record this we can have guests watch us should we let subscribers watch live i might be fired though within a week some of the stuff we have to edit out what did i say (laughs) yeah based on some of the stuff you said before this podcast maybe but also i robert i did see there was a sam you have a sam adams on your desk like you know, you're not living in a fridge. Like, how did that come to be there? Were you planning on breaking this out once we're at 1127 right now? 
Once we get to noon, were you planning on cracking that one? Well, there is a yes. No drinking before twelve. No, no, no. I just thought about just sort of letting you know, John. To see, I wanted to see your reaction. See if you were worried about me or anything. And we still need an official beer of Let's Run dot com. I think this is a huge opportunity. Official beer of Let's Run dot com and runners everywhere. That's the slogan. It's already out there. Any beer execs, email us at pod at let's run dot com. The future is let's run dot com. And Robert was not on the talk with Jai Edwards. I thought it was great, John. I mean, this kid is younger than Drew Hunter, who's kind of in the news in America right now. And it also shows just how you can deal with injuries as a youngster and, and your career can kind of, he could have disappeared, been nothing, but he was a, pretty much a sub four minute miler at age 18. And then four years, which is a college career, didn't do anything really. And then this year now he's equivalent to a sub 350 miler going to the Olympics. It's the dreams become reality story. Just he, he stuck with it. And if you know, he talks about how he could have gone to school in the U.S. and what schools he was looking at. But if he'd come over here, John, he could have been injured the whole entire time. And the other thing pretty interesting was if the Olympics were last year, no way is he going to the Olympics. So pretty interesting talk. Talks about Hayward Field trying to turn pro. And Robert still doesn't have a sponsor. We, we he, He's a p- occasional podcast listener as well, Robert. He said he may wear the Let's Run.com singlet in the Diamond League. So we need someone to verify. Is our singlet, I, th- I feel like the logo's too big. They probably try to prevent us out. Oh, damn. Yeah, those bureaucrats at Weld Athletics, they'll probably strike it down. Try to keep it down the little guy. We need the, the masses to rise up and demand that the singlet be worn by Jai Edwards. At the very least, we should put an offer out there like, Jai, you wear a singlet, we'll pay you X, and we'll start the bidding process there. Podcast listeners, if you want to race in the Let's Run.com colors, you can do so. Go to shop.letsrun.com. We have the gold Let's Run iconic t-shirt. It looks just like the single. John is putting it up on the camera, which most of you can't see, but John's wearing the shirt. Folks, people are sending in videos of the shirt. Did you guys see the video I put up yesterday? I'll, I'll put a, sh- a thread to this, a link to this thread in the show notes, but... This is a video from early January when the when the shirt won its first indoor race, won the mile and 800 of the college race. I was amazed at how smart the shirt races. Like the shirt did exactly what Weldon Johnson did back in the day. Waste no energy. It got right on the leader's shoulder, let the other guy do all the work for three quarters of the race and just blew by him to the victory in both the mile and the 800. The shirt was amazing. But the person that sent in the shirt, I, I was said I wanted to congratulate the shirt. I wasn't sure how to I refer to the shirt. Should I refer to the shirt? What sex should I assign the shirt at birth? He, she, it, they, because I don't want to assign an incorrect sex to the shirt. But based on the shirt's times, I think it was two hundred four for the eight hundred, like four twenty seven in the mile. I think the shirt. Well, I know the shirt is world class. I think the shirt must be female. So should we say she, she or should we call it it? Wait, that just sounded like shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> the shirt should go with the gender, or is it the sex of the person wearing it? We can save that topic for later. Yeah, one last thing I would say it is one of the most comfortable, probably the most comfortable shirt I own. My sister has raved to me about how comfortable it is. She says you need to get one. So, Robin Weldon shipped me. I think you guys shipped me my shirt after she got her shirt for the Kipchoge one, at least. So, yeah, super comfortable. 
shop.letsrun.com. Let's talk some running, all right? Big meet at Haywood Field last week. Uh, pretty much no one there in the, in the stands, unfortunately, because of COVID and the restrictions are quite tight still in the state of Oregon. But lots of stuff to talk about on the track. We had, you know, Jenny Simpson bombing her first race in 14 months. Ollie Hoare dominates in the 1500. Uh, we had an Trayvon Bromel, huge star, and wins the 100 by, you know, by daylight over Noah Lyles. Uh, we had Cole Hawker on Friday night, continuing to amaze. Where do you guys want to start with this one? I think we should go in, in chronological order. We had the college action on Friday night, and Cole Hawker, Cooper Tier, the two Kenyans from Iowa State, Kurgott and Kip Two, right, John? That's correct, Robert. I want to refer to them as their proper name. Wesley Kip Two and Edwin Kurgott, they do have first names. Yes. They all race, and... Hawker wins it, 13-19. This is a guy that ran 350 in the mile indoors, won the 3K in the mile at the NCAA Championships, has now run 146 and 13-19 outdoors, remains undefeated in his outdoor campaign, and gets the win. John, you seem to be very impressed by this. When I was editing your recap, there was something that struck me. You said, and I had to take this out of the article. I did not agree with this. You said, Inarguably, his stock has risen since indoors. So that's where I want to begin. Kind of, I'm thinking about doing a video show for Let's Run where we do, we kind of do the ESPN quick takes. Yes or no, has Cole Tucker's stock gone up since the NCAA indoors? John says yes. I say no. John, tell me why. I don't see this as being remotely controversial in any way. And I'm actually waiting on with bated breath to see what your counter-argument is. Because think about this, Robert. Okay, since NCAA indoors, he's run three races. He's won all of them. One of them was an 800. We didn't know what kind of... Eight, I mean, we knew he's a good miler, but we didn't know what kind of 800 speed he has. What does he do in that 800? He goes out and he runs 146.6, which is the number two time in the NCAA this year. The guy he beat, Festus Lagarde, is a 145.0 guy who was third in the 800 NCAAs in 2019. And that was, this race came the day after, less than 24 hours after he ran 338 to win the 1500. Then the other question we had about Hawker, okay, how far does his range go up? We know he ran 1332 in December at the track meet for 5,000 meters, but how would he handle, you know, a 5,000, which is probably Cooper best distance, Edwin Kurgar and Wesley Kiptu. Wesley Kiptu's the NCAA indoor champion at that distance. How does he do against them? those guys? Well, guess what? They come along. They try to drop him. They can't drop him. He runs 13-19, which is the fastest time ever by an American teenager. So in the month plus since the NCAA indoors, he's run a fast 800, which is the number two time in the NCAA right now, and he's run the fastest time ever by an American teenager for 5,000. Please explain how that has not risen his stock. Very simple, John. Very simple. Go to the IWF scoring tables. Go to the John Kellogg conversion chart. You pay someone based on their potential. When it's on the mystery of the sport, there, there isn't that much mystery in a sport. That's part of the problem, one of the flaws in marketing the sport. But at the end of indoors, we didn't know how good he could be. There's People falsely think maybe he could be greater than anyone else has ever been. But now we know that's not the case. Go to the scoring chart table. 
350 mile converts to like 1305 in the 5000. It converts to like 144, 145 in the 800. He has shown that that no, he's not as good in these other events as he is the mile. And I just think that his stock has gone down. Cole, you should have listened to me. You should have gone pro. The, the, the top coach that called me at the, after indoors and said, his money will never be higher than it is right now. Go pro right now. He, every, every day that he stays in college, his money's going down. I am actually, on a serious note, happy that he's in college. I think he'll still be well paid. But in my mind, his stock has only fallen, which is crazy, John. I'll admit it. He's undefeated. He's won everything. But... You know, there was another... Well, Weldon's looking at me crazy. I'll let Weldon say one thing before I continue to dig myself a grave. I mean, I almost started yelling at the screen. I'm glad this is the first video being rela- released. But the dude ran 13-19 and won this race. I did not see the race. It was after midnight on the East Coast. I wake up, I see the headline, and you guys have something about Nico Young runs 13-24 and Cole Hawker runs 13-19. And I'm like, What? And then I'm like, well, Cole Hawker must have lost because you guys led with Nico Young, even though Nico Young's was a junior record and Cole Hawker's because he's a year older or, yeah, isn't. And I'm like, what? He must have lost the race. And I look, he wins this damn race. He came in with a, over 13.30 PR, beats a guy who's run 13.17 before. I mean, Robert, that's a 15-second gap in the 5K. I don't expect Cole Hawker overnight to go from 13.30 to 13 flat. There's no way his stock has dropped. But at this point, yeah, staying in college, there's no point. Like, you could easily just turn pro tomorrow. Like, there's no advantage unless Nike's just trying to milk you for the mystique of well, but no. Hayward and Oregon. Go pro. Look, I'm very good at playing devil's advocate, but here, I think there is an advantage. Life is not about money. You don't, when you die, you don't take it with you. So, I, the advantage of he wants to win in state titles, he wants to be a part of the national championship team, he's having a lot of fun. He, I mean, I would if I was his dad, I would not tell him to go pro. He's going to make a ton of money in a few months anyways. But, yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. Also, to, to explain to what I was referring to is there was another 5,000 at the Drake Relays where Nico Young broke the U.S. junior record by running 13.24 on the same night. So we'll talk about that as well. So I, I just am saying that I don't know. Like, I know what he's doing is amazing, but it doesn't blow my – none of these races have been like – Oh my God to me like that when he won the 3000 indoors, that was like shocking to me. I'm rarely, I'm no longer, no matter what he does now, I'm never going to be shocked. So, you know, there was a, along these lines, there was a thread on the message board. Someone said, does Cole Hawker have a gold medal kick or he has a gold medal kick and they're like, he's kicked unreal. It's a gold medal kick. And I had to just look up the facts. I'm like, dude, he closed the 13, 19, 5,056. I mean, Paul Chalima closed the 1303 race in 53 and got his doors blown off by Mo Farah by 0.6 of a second. We, we haven't seen a gold medal. We didn't see a gold medal close this weekend. Yes, the closes in the indoor races were incredibly impressive, particularly the last 200. I'm not saying Cole Hawker is not amazing. God, I made a freaking t-shirt hyping the kid up. I love Cole Hawker, but I think the best way to think about this is I'm not stunned by anything he's doing anymore. It's not better than I expected. Maybe the 5,000 win is more surprising. I'm just confused by your logic here, Robert, because you're saying his 5,000 PB and his 800 PB don't equate to his mile PB. Guess what? The kid's a miler. His, if his best event is a mile, does his 5,000 and 800 also be, have to be equal? I don't understand the logic here. Do you want all runners, if their PRs aren't 
equally impressive in all events that they're not good? I, I don't understand. Okay, that's a good point, actually, John. Never mind. Let me take this back. The thing about this, this is like Nick Willis didn't need to win the 5,000 at NCAAs. He just needed to be competitive and win a lot of damn medals. And same thing with Central in the 800. God, this guy. But okay, so at least we're admitting now we know he's a miler. That's his event. Subscribers, if you want to cancel your subscription, go to cancel, enter the code ROJO, and we will dock it from his pay for this segment. Thank you. No, this is great. I've claimed victory. My logic skills have prevailed in a battle of wits with the co-founder of Let's Run. First time ever. Yeah, can someone look up on the tables? Would Cole Hawker should be running the 100? It's probably right around like <laughs> 10 flat. <laughs> well, Robert wanted to go chronologically. I don't know. We're talking about a miler. I'm skipping, skipping around. Let's go to the women's 1500 meters. Laura Muir gets the victory. She goes out crazy fast, like 355 pace. Ends up fading, winning. Not 355 pace. She went out in 61 for 400. She went out in like 350 pace, world record pace, 3400. Okay, even better. Even It's funny. In my mind, 355 is like 350. It's just like super quick, quick, but you're right. Need to be a little more accurate. Um, and the winning time was like, I can't remember, 402? 401. And so I'm like, oh, not that impressive. But none of the times were that fast. I mean, Shani Miller Weibo ran fast. I thought it was going to be a fast day. And then a lot of the times the rest of the day really weren't that impressive. But the performance I want to talk about is Jenny Simpson, the greatest American 1500 meter runner ever who ran 4.10 for ninth place. This is her first race since early in 2020, and the Olympic trials are two months away. It, guys, are, is, like, is this time to panic? Is this just a rust buster? I mean, 4.10 is a pretty bad rust buster. Jenny on Twitter after the race said, I'll call that a rust buster. Not the kind of day I train for, but that happens sometimes. Eyes on June. Are you guys a little bit worried now? Or is this like Centro, who we had a performance scale for him, and we're like, anything over 150 is like an F, and he runs 150.9, and we're like, uh, we expect him to be ready for the Olympic trials. So is that kind of the same thing with Jenny Simpson? Because I would say, oh, she runs 404, 405. She can still be ready for the trials. I'm not thinking she's going to run 410. But also, when you fade and you're not there and you go out a little fast, end all time may not matter that much but she didn't fade she was just she was at the back and stayed there the whole time i mean i i'm a little skeptical of the whole concept of a rust buster i mean we see so many athletes come out have just been training for months and they run ridiculous times jay simpson's a pro she knows how to race even if it's been a while for her so yes the result does concern me a little but at the same time and also just because jenny so rarely races poor poorly She's a very consistent runner. If you look back the last few years, she very rarely has off races. And now she's 34, which is past prime age for a 1500 runner. So of course there's going to be a degree of worry, but it's going to take more than one bad race in April for me to write off, as you said, well, than the greatest 1500 meter runner of all time from the US. So I'm not out on Jenny Simpson yet, but I will be watching her next race closely. I'm worried about it. John always talks about the age for the milers. Look, 34 is not old. 
I mean, she could still make an Olympic team if she was in top form. But what concerns me is, yes, she said she took the year off. It's COVID year. I think that's smart. Get rejuvenized mentally, physically, whatever. But the fact that she didn't race at all indoors was weird to me. I know she never, she only normally runs that one New Balance race. But I'm like, wait a minute. She skipped the whole year. She should have run this race just to have the rust buster there to see where she's at and to get back into, into the nick of things. So I was wondering if she was just way behind. So this 410, there's not a lot of time. But, you know, with the schedule and the, and the stupidity that USATF has set up so that you can't do the 15, 5,000 double and the stupidity that World Athletics has done so that the 200, 400 double is not easy and the 15, 5 double is not easy. It is such a bad mistake by the governing bodies. The way to promote this sport, the easiest way to promote this sport is to have stars and you become a star by winning multiple gold medals and building your brand over, over, over 10 days at the Olympics and with the world watching. But, you know... I, I Can we stop this talk about stupidity about the Olympic trials? Like, everything isn't stupid. They changed the schedule to match the Olympic schedule. There is some logic in that. It's not stupid. You may disagree with it. They shouldn't have changed it three months out of the in front of the Olympics when people had already sort of started thinking about what events they were going to arrange. They should have initially announced our schedule is going to announce the Olympics and go from there. But it's not stupid. There's logic to that. Yes, there is logic to it. And I... I Originally, when they did, I thought, they, oh, they want to imitate the Olympic schedule. But the problem is you can have a super talented runner not make the Olympic team in one event and then not be able to try out for the team in the other event. The point of the trials is to pick the best team. It's not to imitate the Tokyo schedule exactly. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that you should have had the 15-5 double doable for the women. I think that's an excellent point, Robert. Because what if Ali Parrier or Simpson or, heaven forbid, Shelby Houlihan doesn't make it in the 15? They will be one of our best, I mean, certainly in the contention, to be one of our best 5,000 runners. And they're not even having the opportunity. And people think that I'm kidding when I am say this, and I'm not. If Shelby Houlihan goes down in the final of the 1,500, they need to rerun the race. That is in the rule book. You can do it. People say it's never been done. Then don't have a rule. that you, Take it out of the rule book. If you're never going to do it. I love that Robert wanting an Olympic trials final to be rerun has become his personal crusade. And I'm all for it. I think it would be a, it would be a total fiasco. It would be like Tomo and Felix in 2012. It would be a huge, you know, center of drama. It would be great for the let's run message boards. I'm all for this scenario. Uh, John, this might be a revenue opportunity. I mean, the crowds are going to be very limited. Oregon's like cracking down hard on spectator events. We might need to bring back morning sessions, noon sessions, and evening sessions, like with different crowds, so that they make buy people buy tickets three different times. Well, no. Here's what you do. Well, then, you say the race is going to be run, rerun, but not in Oregon. You have it down in Texas, somewhere where you can fill a stadium, and you say Olympic trials, fifteen hundred, part two. You know, everything's on the line. Hype the shit out of it. I th- that would be amazing. We may have to plant some sort of runner in there who takes a fall for the good of the sport here okay there's several other things i want to talk about this race one laura muir i mean she said she thought she was in insane shape which considering her pr is like 354 355 she was probably trying to go out and run that from the front but what did you guys think of her tactics personally i didn't like it i didn't see what she got out of the race to me the problem that laura muir has in races is she normally just runs with the leaders as hard as she can and, and thinks I'm going to stick with them and stick with them, stick with them. And then doesn't measure her effort over the final 400 and then blows up and has nothing left and ends up fourth or fifth when she could have been second or third. If she measured her effort over the final lap 
like Jenny Simpson does. Like Laura runs to win everything when really the best bet, honestly, in a race is just to measure effort and run as fast as you can to the finish line. But uh, so I think she needs to learn how to like blast it at the finish and meet, meet out her kick perfectly. So I didn't like this tactics. And then I thought a little bit about it and I thought, well, maybe if she's learning like when she's over the red line, this would help her. But she went way over the red line because her second half was way slower than the first half. Admittedly, it was windy. So what did you think of her tactics? I had no problem with it. She thought she could run a PR. It was a little windier than she thought. So she ended up, she was forced to back off essentially. But I've watched the last few years on the circuit. I think she actually has been doing a better job of measuring her effort and timing her kick correctly. So obviously that's a skill you want to continue to develop, but she was so much better than this field that I don't know how much there is to be gained from it. So, but I, I, I'm fine with how she ran this race on Saturday. And more importantly, I, I can't believe we've waited 12 or 20 minutes into this podcast. John, where's the law for the second place finisher in this race? I, w- I was going to bring it up, Robert. I mean, I wasn't going to lead the podcast with it, but maybe I should. Helen Schlachtenhaufen, 404.36. Dartmouth class of 2017. She beats all the Americans here. And you got to say now, if Simpson... You know, if if there are questions about her now, I mean, I guess Sinclair Johnson is the woman we would all pick for that third spot. But also, we haven't seen Sinclair Johnson run for a little while. So Helen Schlachtenhaufen, I think she has to be in the Olympic conversation at the moment for the 1500. And John didn't, John forgot to, assumes everyone knows where he went to college. John's a Dartmouth grad. That's why I was saying Helen Schlachtenhaufen. But I mean, this is amazing. This is like a woman that... I mean, I, I, I do the Ivy League broadcast. Yeah, she won a, a, you know, a decent number of Ivy League titles. But she was a 418 woman going into NCAAs her senior year. Lowers her PR down to 411, which I guess got her a contract. Is Tim Brower a coach? It says Saucony until Stopcha. I believe she's still with Tim Bro, yeah. Wow. And she goes out and, you know, her last race of, of college, she goes from 418 to 411 to make NCAAs for the first time in her career. And now she's spanking the likes of Jenny Simpson, all a bunch of other Americans. Danny Jones, Corey McGee. Nikki Hiltz, who made the world's team. I mean, I wasn't, you guys were raving about this, and I wasn't that impressed with the time because it's 4.04, and I'm like, that's not that great today. But in today's beating those other women, the times are slow in general. It's pretty impressive. Speaking of Nikki Hiltz, let's talk about one thing. Obviously, a few weeks ago, she came out as transgender non-binary. And on NBC, you know, they needed to bring that up. And I'm happy. I think it's fantastic that people are finding their true selves. And you can identify however you want in your personal life. But in your sporting life, I think you need to be competing in the gender of your biological sex. John, did you see the broadcast and how they introduced her? I thought they did. No, no one's talking about this. I thought they did a terrible job of the introduction of Nikki Hiltz. They tried to act like it was a very momentous occasion and everything like that, and they tried to give her her due. That was fine. But they left out one key fact, and this is the same key fact that is left out of all the Caster Semenya articles and stuff like that. Not once, they explain what transgender non-binary is, but not once did they tell you what her birth sex was or what sex she used to be. I assume most people watching that would assume that she was a man that had transitioned to a woman. They never said that her birth sex was female. I thought that was an inexcusable mistake by them. 
now that you say it, it's probably an oversight on their behalf, yes. I don't think most people would assume. I feel like most people watching it probably know who Nikki Hiltz is and are familiar with their story. But I, you know, I don't view it as the biggest mistake in the world. But yeah, it would have been a helpful piece of information to say she was born female, assigned female at birth, and now she's transgender non-binary. All right, guys, let's keep talking about the Oregon Relays. Walden's admitted to not watching some races. I didn't see the women's 800, but can someone explain? John, you did. You did. Can you explain to me how the women? I know it was Wendy, but 203 in a professional 800? I mean, the time they had a college meet, which was actually won by a professional, which didn't make any sense to me. They had a couple of college races, which were won by pros too, so it didn't make sense. Why don't they just call it the B Heat? But the B Heat was won in a time faster than the 203 time in the A heat. So I'm, I'm hoping that the person in the B, he got the prize money. Madeline Kelly of Canada won that in two Oh two eighty seven. But John, how did Raven Rogers, Jenna Riki, militia Bishop, Kate Grace, Sammy Watson go out and the, the fastest they could run was two Oh three. Robert, I went back and watched this meet again yesterday and I still don't understand how this race happened. This race was it had Gemma Riki, who's a 157 woman, Raven Rogers, the reigning silver medalist from the World Championships, Melissa Bishop, who's run 157, and the winner was Adele Tracy of Great Britain in 203.25. She's only broken two twice in her life. She's not, I mean, she's fine, but she's not really on the level of a Riki or Rogers, and yet she comes out, and the thing is, Gemma Riki and Raven Rogers were leading this race. They were 1-2 coming off the final bend, and I'm like, all right, this makes sense. They're, they're the best two. They're in position. They're just going to pull away. And suddenly, Tracy tries to come by on the inside. Gemma Riki, to her credit, did a good job. You see it very often that whoever's the leader will not protect lane one, and someone will try to come on the inside, and they'll go by them. Gemma Riki did a good job of making Adele Tracy go wide to pass her, but Tracy had enough and, and got her at the line by one hundredth of a second. But yeah, I still don't understand why they didn't go with Alexa Ephraimson, the rabbit, who came through in 59.33. There was a gap of about two seconds uh, at the bell and it just wasn't as particularly fast race, which was a little, a little puzzling that they didn't go with them. But when you don't, when you go out in 61 seven, which is what the leader was the first racer, you're not going to get a very fast finishing time. Yeah, but you shouldn't be positive splitting it like Raven Rogers. Should we be concerned? I guess everybody ran poorly, but my God. Well, I think Mo, you know, if I do, you, you know, you think back to a thing Mo's race at Baylor a couple weeks ago, she goes out in 60 and then runs a 57 7. So clearly a thing Mo's in on a different level than these women right now. But yeah, it's, it's also it's April. We got to remember that. And it's, it's, it's probably overreaction Tuesday. Doing a rare podcast on Tuesday. Weldon's got to go somewhere tomorrow. But in my mind, I, I am going to overreact. I know I didn't even put a, pick a thing, Mo, on, uh, to be on the Olympic team a month ago, but I'm putting her ahead of Raven Rogers, the world silver medalist right now. Ajay and a thing right now to appear to be looking good for that team. Raven Rogers, time to get in a little bit better shape. But there was a thread started on the message board, like who should we stick a fork into? And you've already mentioned a name here. I've got to add to this list. And this is sad for me, but... This will get into something we can talk about later. The rabbit for this race, Alexa Frameson. I mean, this woman was a superstar in high school. She was amazing, like 403 or something. U.S. junior record holder, right, John? Am I correct about that? At 1,500 meters. And sticks with the high school coach. Doesn't do much. Switches over. Now, recently to Pete Julian, we were hoping he was going to resurrect her career. Well, on Friday night or, or Friday, she was 10th. Or no, in the middle of the week, she was 10th in the road mile at Drake. And then is now reduced to rabbiting the 800. 
at the Oregon Relays. So when we start talking about Drew Hunter and Tom Shorts later and all these other people that don't pan out, there's so many people that are teenage stars, German Fernandez, et cetera. They don't pan out. And oftentimes, guess what? It's not the coach's fault. Well, I'm, I'm willing to see, give Pete a little bit more time to work with her. This is his first year working with her. But yeah, her races this year have been very poor. And I'm kind of curious, you know, she was not, she was coming off injury last year. Is she healthy? I'm just kind of, you know, something's not, not right at the moment with her. Okay, John, I'm, I'm going to test your knowledge. We can never get anything past you. I don't know if you would have seen this or not. Do you know what Shamir Little did last week? She ran an 800. God damn it. We get we subscribe to Race Results Weekly, which compiles all the key results. And if there's an obscure race that has something important, normally David Monty will mention it there. But I don't forward that to John. John, do you get that? No. No, so... I don't, I don't see why you're upset that the guy you pay to know about track and field just follows track and field. That's a good uh, sign. It's a sound investment on your part, Robert. Well, Shamir Little, who three-time NCAA 400-meter hurdle champ, who shockingly did not make the Olympics in 2016, but she's been having a fantastic year. She's run 49-9 open this year. Um, ran the 800 last week in Arkansas, won it in 203. And what's interesting to me, John, is she didn't hurdle at all last year, and she hasn't hurdled at all this year. I'm assuming she's going to go back to the hurdles, but maybe not. I mean, <laughs> she's having a great year, but if she does go back to the hurdles, I mean, she's insane in the U S 400 hurdle team with Delilah Hama, Sydney McLaughlin and her. And although she didn't make the team because the uh, old Texas girl is always making and getting third. Ashley Spencer. Yeah. Yeah. No, Shamia Little, remember, she ran 49.9 at that meet in Florida a couple weeks ago in the 400. So I think she'd have a pretty good shot at making the U.S. team in the flat 400, too. It'll be interesting to see what she does. Yeah. And in this eight, it wasn't like she beat chopped liver. She did beat Chrissy Gear, uh, Gear the NCAA runner up in the mile. So. And she ran 204.39 for officially, not 203. All right. Well, that was our little Arkansas interlude. I, a few other results I want to talk about from the USATF Grand Prix in Eugene. All right, guys, I have a question. What the hell's going on in the steeplechase right now? Do you guys see the results of this race? I don't think I, I don't think anyone could have predicted what we saw in this steeplechase. Hillary Bohr, the reigning U.S. champion, the second, and then we've got Stanley Cabene, the second fastest American ever. They're both running this race. I was like, okay, they, they're the only two Americans with the standard right now, now that Andy Bayer is retired. And I'm like, all right, they'll probably be you know, contending for the win here. And instead, we get a lost lap battle. Isaac Updike and Mason Furlick coming down the home straight. And Furlick can't quite get him. Isaac Updike, who's an Alaska native, he ran at NAIA Eastern Oregon. He now runs for Empire Elite, which is the club that split off from NJMY Track Club last year. He wins it in 8-17-74. Mason Furlick, second, 8-18-49. Mason's been running pretty well this, this year, so that's not a huge surprise, but a PR for him, his first since 2016. They both have the Olympic standard now, and then third place, you know, dropped on the last lap, Hillary Bohr, 8-22, and then you've got Kabene back in seventh, 8-30. Now, granted, this was his first race since the Olympic marathon trials last year, so it's been a while for him. And then Robert's boy, Anthony Rotich, is only 8th in 8.36. So 
this race had pretty much everyone in the U.S. steeple ranks apart from Evan Jaeger, and we had a major shakeup. So I thought this was really exciting, and it makes the trials a fascinating race now. Anthony, what happened there? If you need me to coach you remotely, Anthony, not good. First of all, amazing story about the NAIA. What's this guy's name? Isaac Updike? My God. So that was a shock. Furley's been running well. I'm not that concerned about Boer. What, 822? I mean, that's fine for early April. Or, excuse me, late April. I, I think, whatever. I mean, I, I think he can make the team. But we, we, we talked about um, Kevin A, right? And I said, you guys mocked me for saying he wasn't going to make the team. He hadn't raced in a long time. His wife had t- twins. And you said, oh, everybody has kids and it makes the team. I was concerned that he wasn't racing. I, I would put 830 kind of at the back end of what where he needs to be, but can he improve 15 seconds? You know, if you get an 8.15 shape, you've got a good shot at making that team. Yeah, 15 seconds in seven weeks? That's You're acting like that, that's not easy. And wasn't Robert saying Rotich could win a medal in the 1500 at Worlds? Oh my gosh. Once again, you want a refund? Please enter the code ROJO. Come out of his pay. Isaac Update. I mean, he's the guy, John, admit it, you'd never heard of him until this race. What are you talking about? Yes, I've heard of him. Do you, you remember 2018, he won his heat at USA's. We did an interview with him. Like, look, I wasn't t- intimately familiar with his backstory, but I've heard of him. He ru- he's been running on the scene for a while. He's 29. This is the craziest thing about this. He's 29. His, people don't usually drop eight seconds in the steeple at age 29, which is what he did in this race. So that's crazy, but come on, he's been on the scene. It's not like he's come out from absolute nowhere. He ran for Team Eugene, Run Eugene for a while. Like, I'd heard of the guy. Let me try a different path. Robert, admit it, you'd never heard of the guy. Probably not. Perhaps. Sorry, I was looking up something else. Let's, let's Enough steeple talk. Men's 1500. Ollie Horb. Does fantastic. I mean, I, I think he should be on the Australian Olympic team. Um, I didn't like the way this race was presented on TV. They said we expected a, a battle between Bryce Hopple and Brazier. I was hoping that Brazier would run like a man in this race and go for it, and he did not do that. He went out in the back of the pack. It was actually probably smarter. He gets a better effort. Instead of going out like a man like Bryce Hopple did and then blowing up, you'd probably get a better workout, improve your fitness more by actually – completing the whole thing instead of going out hard and, and tying up like Hopple. But Hopple, that's pre- Steve Prefontaine would be would be proud. You and and, and Brazier should switch sponsors. But um, I, I, I didn't expect Hopple to, to be good at the 1,500. I mean, I guess he set an American record indoor in the 1,000, but I didn't expect him to do well in this race anyway. So wasn't that surprising. So Hoare dominates. Justin Knight tries to stick Nith, with, with, him, with him. You know, whatever. But Hopscaster, the high score, 340, had one of the best last laps of everybody, 56 seconds. But I didn't know what to make of this. Is this like, yes, I mean, he, he closed. Robert, I know you've got a hot take here you want to unload. No, I don't know. John seems super impressed by it. But I'm like, look, it, it equates to something slower than what he ran indoors. But it was windy. So I don't know. I guess it was a solid run. John acted like it was amazing. I mean, I guess, look at the names right behind him. Johnny Gregorek, who's a 349 miler. Jordy Beamish, who won an NCAA title. Bryce Hopple. Emmanuel Boers, the 1305 guy. Trip Hurd and Eric Jenkins. I, I was impressed by this. He closed. He had the fastest last lap in a pro field that included Donovan frickin' Brazier. 
I mean, 5606, that's pretty great for a high schooler. And what he did, okay, he just goes back, at, he goes out in the back of the pack and then he just rolls guys up on the last lap. I think that's exactly what he, he should have done. I don't have any issue with that. Like, this is his first, you know, okay, he did race against pros at the ATL meet when he broke the mile record indoors, but he's still getting his feet wet against pros. I have no issue. I thought he ran fine. And are you, are you, I guess are you saying you wanted to see him run faster? I mean, I don't think the conditions were that fast for running. Ollie Hoare ran a second slower than he did at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. No, I, I think it's fine. I mean, I think he kind of beat – he was probably told to do what Webb did back in the day. You know, stick in the pack and then kick. And that's what he did. He did a very good job of it. I mean, it wasn't Alan Webb-type kick where, where Webb mowed down almost the entire field when he was in high school. But I think he'll run faster. I mean, look at the names that he beat. I think he'll run – you know, I think we said 337 with with better weather moving forward. Before the race, if he told me he'd run 340, I'd be like, uh, who cares? I think we are focusing maybe too much on time. The last lap is pretty good. And if you told me, oh, he'll beat Gregoric and stuff, I, I'd be impressed. So I think I'm somewhat impressed. I, I'm just, I can't make any sense of this meet with the times. Like the women's 800 is weird. This race was weird. Ollie Hoare ran well, but the, the kind of times across the board weren't very impressive. Remember, didn't one of those designers say there was going to be a problem at Hayward with the wind? Because of the new design, you guys remember hearing some of that? There's some complaint. I don't. I don't remember. Okay, I won't draw huge conclusions from one meet, but I swear I heard that. You know, but hey, if we're, if we can draw conclusions about the future of humanity from you know whatever storm rips through Connecticut this summer, I feel like I can say Hayward. Oh, the new design. It's over. Well, speaking of not drawing conclusions from one meet, let's move back to Drake. Men's 1500. Wasn't just one race, though. Clayton Murphy wins the road mile. No, he doesn't win the road mile. Excuse me. He gets third in the road mile. And then he wins the 1500 on the track. 339. I thought this was just solid for me. I, I was impressed by it. I didn't care what the time was. I think of Clayton Murphy as a 100-meter guy. It's like Brazier. All I want to see is that he's healthy and pretty fit. I think he's going to be on the Olympic team at 800. John's shaking his head yes. Well, I, I did pick Isaiah Harris over him to make the Olympic team. And Isaiah Harris ran pretty well at the Oregon Relays. But yeah, Clayton Murphy showed me absolutely everything I could want to see. You know, close in 54-7. That's pretty solid. He won the race. Really no complaints about him. I think that's a good effort for him. The worry I have, which I've expressed for a few weeks now on the podcast, I mean, 2017 U.S. champ Robbie Andrews, he's only 11th in this race. 347, just well off the win. He's closing in 60.3. I just think, you know, you. how do you make an Olympic team? It, it, it's not like, okay, it's not just this one race. He, again. Thank you, John. Correct. I hate to say it. I love Robbie. He's a nice guy. Volunteer assistant coach at my alma mater, Princeton University. He's coming back from surgery and Lyme disease. And I, the extra year was saved. He had no chance last year. Extra year gave him a shot, but... I'm going to go back to that thread, and I hate to say it. This is two races in a row, 347. we got to stick a fork in him. He is not going to make the team. And what was shocking to me, John, is, I mean, he was 11th, 347, but look at some of the names in here that were just awful. Ryan Hill, 344, ninth place. Um, Justine Kiprotich, two-time NCAA runner-up, 353. I mean, that guy can't even break 410 in the mile. Leonard Career, hello, 
Isn't he supposed to make the Olympic 10,000 team? He's running 357. Now, he ran something else, right, this week, too, as well, which was like a de- or decent result in something. I believe he ran the 5,000 at this meet on Friday night, and his time in that race, he was sixth in 13.28. So that's obviously a better result. Uh, yeah, so that's good. That's 13.28, though, this guy's got to get the standard, right? He doesn't have it. Correct. So... Just there's a lot of the there's just some some big names that aren't running well. The WCAP guys don't seem to be in the same type of form that they used to be. Really interesting. I was puzzled as well, Eric Avila. I, now I watched the end of this race. I saw Clayton Murphy win. I Eric Avila didn't look like he was pacing or anything. He runs two forty five and dnf and that was just a few days after he won the u.s road mile so i'm kind of confused clearly he's in pretty good shape and then he just goes out he's never really in this race and then drops out that that was a very confusing result for me as well from eric avila Uh, and speaking of, of of confusing results did i mention this eric jenkins was in the oregon 1500 343 so when everyone talk again when we get to the 10 stuff. Not every stud runner makes an Olympic team. Eric Jenkins is one who's apparently made not, although he's got the standard. So maybe he does make it in the 10K. You don't have to be super fast in the mile to make a 10K team. Yeah, I did pick him to make the 10K team. I had to bash my boy Robbie. But did you guys see this result of Drake? I know John will know who this person is, but Weldon won't know who this person is. I don't even know how to say her first name. Josette Norris. I did see that. And Robert, can you tell our viewers why you would Connect, make the connection between Robbie Andrews and Josette Norris. They are engaged to be wed in early 2022. Congratulations to the two on their engagement. But Josette is a 25-year-old who ran briefly, ran at North Carolina for a couple years and then transferred to Georgetown and never made NCAs until her senior year, I don't think. Never in cross country. It's amazing. Made it was fourth in the NCAA 5000 in 2019. Got picked up by the Reebok Track Club, which is coached by Let's Run friend Chris Fox, the man who helped advise Weldon. The joke is that Chris Fox knew it was time to retire when Weldon beat him in a road race. But great guy, smart coach. Anyways, she had 413-1545 PBs at Georgetown. Now, she did run 1529 later that summer, right after getting fourth at NCAAs. But she never finished higher than ninth in the Big East cross country. Now she was a star in high school in New Jersey, so maybe that's how where she knows Aunt Robbie from. But now down to f- she's already run Olympics uh, fifteen nineteen in the five thousand this year. And runs four oh six for the win at Drake. So congrats to her, and this confirms a long held belief that we had at Cornell University. Shout out to one fifty two ninety eight eight hundred meter runner Ross McGowan, VIP subscriber as well. And he and I came up with this theory with a number of the guys. John's smiling. So, John, I guess I've said this before. When two people are in a relationship, both of them cannot be running well. Only one person runs well in a relationship. And there's an elaborate theory. I I, got to try to remember how it works. Normally in a dating courting phase, the guy runs amazing because he's on the prowl and he's looking for that woman and he's got a chance and his testosterone is going through the roof. And, man, he hits it. But once they get in the relationship, 
this is this kind of supports that theory that the, you know men and women aren't men aren't supposed to be uh, monogamous. The man's running kind of tanks, but once the woman has the security of the relationship, once she has the security of the Robbie Andrews security blanket, her running takes off. This is this is actually perfect proof of the theory that we came up at Cornell during our free time. Uh, I actually I would like to know when they started dating because Robbie hasn't been running well for quite some time. So if they started running dating in 2017 when he's winning USA's maybe, but if they started run, dating in 2018 or 2019, then I don't know. But I will admit this is the closest to any sort of hard, hard evidence you've had for this fact for this theory in quite a while. Kara Goucher, Adam Goucher. I'm trying to think. I was trying to pick apart this thing, but now I'm like, oh, maybe there's some truth. But this would imply any. Is this only apply if both people in the couple are runners, or does this imply like any man who gets married that's the end of his career? And everyone who's woke has already turned this off, so we're good to go. The rest of the podcast. We can- Wait, John Kellogg has just walked over to hand me a piece of paper. He heard me saying this. He's got some exceptions to this rule. He wants to point out that Ron Tab, who was a two and nine marathoner, was married to Barry Jagger. And they both ran well at the same time. But that marriage didn't last. That was only a quick marriage. So maybe that's support. I'm talking about in relationships that end up being good relationships. And he points out that Ben True and is it Sarah True, John? We've yep. both been doing well at the same time. So thank you, John. See, John likes that theory, though. He's over there listening to what I'm saying. All right. Do we want to talk about one last race from Drake real quick? Nico Young, 1324. I mean, I watched this. I was very impressed. I, I just want to give kudos. Can we give kudos to Nico Young? He comes in to high school to NAU as a much ballyhooed prospect, one of the best distance project prospects we've had for years in the United States, one of the greatest cross country careers in the history of U.S. high school running. And he comes into NAU, and we all expect him to be a hit right away and to be running fast. And he is delivered. He is fourth at NCAA cross as a true freshman on a really tough course. And now he's run 13.24 and he's broken the U.S. under 20 5,000 meter record held by German Fernandez set in 2009. It's You don't always have these stars living up to expectations and he's adapted to training at altitude in Flagstaff. He's made that tra- tra- transition very nicely. And now he's continuing to fulfill that potential we all saw in college. So I just want to give a kudos to Nico Young for delivering and exceeding the hype in some aspects, I would say. Yeah, John, he's done an amazing job. I think he's been helped out by COVID in the sense of he got to run cross when there was a lot going on. So the field was watered down because of NCAA indoors. I mean, he would have done fourth is amazing, but he wouldn't have been fourth probably if everybody's there. Maybe he would have been 10th. Still would have been really good. And then also Cole Hawker has, has taken a lot of the attention away from him. So it's better to me that he sort of can be under the radar pretty good but not the obsession that German Fernandez was. I mean, I I got on a plane to watch German Fernandez run the World Cross in Amman, Jordan. I was so into that guy. And it's kind of weird. He kind of faded f- from the limelight, and we didn't really talk about it too much. One more thing about that Cornell theory. It just hit me. Like, Not that many of the guys that I used to coach have, have signed up for the VIP membership. So Cornell runners, if you're listening right now, how dare you? All the times I drove you to the meets and did all this stuff for you. I will let you sign up for one week only, but you have to, you're going to have to put your ego aside. You have to type into the coupon code Cornell cheapskate. 
If you type that into the code and you're a Cornell alum, I will give you a VIP membership for one week at 50% off. Oh man, Robert, mentioning German Fernandez and you flying to Jordan to watch him run well cross, it just made me wistful. We we missed the opportunity. COVID has denied us yet another great opportunity. Could you imagine if Nico Young gets fourth in NCAA cross in the fall, which was the best performance by a true freshman from the United States since Dathan Ritzenhain in 2001. And then he's got the World Cross Country Championships in Australia, you know, in March. And they just say, forget NCAA indoors. Mike's like, we're going to send Nico out to World Cross. We're going to see if he can medal. And they just tried to do that. How awesome would that have been if he runs the junior race and he's going up against the top East Africans? And I oh, I would have been so excited to go to that, go to Australia, watch Nico Young try it against the world's best. I just think he doesn't medal. I don't think he... Is that crazy for me to think? No, he probably doesn't medal, but he would be at least trying. I mean, I would be. I would want to see that race. You wouldn't want to see that race. I don't know. The older you get, are you just too jaded? I'm like, ah, thirteen twenty four. Not that great. It's American <laughs> junior record. Eighteen years old. Come on, man. Well, we had another guy who's nineteen years old run three thirteen nineteen. What's their age difference? One year. Nico was born in July 2002. Cole was born in June 2001. I'm kind of with Weldon on this one. I, 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 I'm I, not... There's a thread like how much money would Nico make if he went pro right now? I wouldn't give him that much. I don't even think he's the most talented guy in his family. So I would wait. Weldon and I are into the twins. His younger brothers that are twins. We like twins more anyways. But it was kind of interesting, John. If you look at the list behind him, I mean... Nico Young's number one on the all-time U.S. under 25,000 list. German Fernandez is number two, never made an Olympic team. Chris Derrick is number three, never made an Olympic team. Grant Fisher, number four, um, hasn't made the Olympic team, probably will make one this year. Jerry Lindgren, I don't know. I don't think he was as good at post-collegiate as people would have hoped, but he was very good. Sean McGordy, Galen Rupp, Franklin Sanchez, and Steve Prefontaine. So kind of a lot. I'm just saying that he doesn't necessarily guarantee you professional success. By the way, Cornell runners, I'm going to change the code. Enter the code cheap bastard, cheap bastard, <laughs> and you will get 50% off. That's the I've written it down. I didn't know. I knew I couldn't figure out what I wanted. That's easier to type in anyways and remember. So speaking of junior record holders, do you guys see that the U.S. under 20 marathon record holder, John, what is her name? Well, I know Weldon doesn't know it. Tierney Wolfgram? Yes. Tierney Wolfgram has oh, won. Oh, yes. Nice poll. She ran 231.50 in, no- in November to set the U.S. junior record in the marathon. She made her collegiate debut. So I guess she was probably hurt because she didn't run cross country. Anyways, guess her 5,000 meter time. The Fresno State Invitational. She did win the race. I'll give you that much of it. 16.04. Oh, well, 16.23. 1644.15. Well, she won the race. John just remembers names and stats. I just have more of a flow for the sport. Yeah, you were, you were 21 seconds off that well then. Don't pat yourself on the back too much. But just I was way closer. And while, while we're talking about teen phenoms, um, there was an interesting thing last week when Jonathan Ar- had an article on this. He talked to Donovan Brazier before the Oregon relays, and Donovan wouldn't call Hayward Field the best track and field stadium in America. And he's like, well, I'm, I may be a little bit biased. I wanted to go to Oregon. They didn't offer me a scholarship. 
And, you know, I said, look, as a former college coach, it doesn't surprise me that much. I mean, in Ivy League, we didn't have scholarships to give out, but I was once recruiting like the number two eight recruit in the 800 in North America. He was a Canadian, run like 150. And he couldn't get into Cornell. So I called up, I think it was Marcus O'Sullivan. I said, hey, Marcus, you know, I love the stuff you do there. This guy would be great for you. Interested. And he's like, well, does he run cross country? I'm like, no, not really. He's like, if they can't, if they can't do more than one thing, I really, we don't have, we only have so much money to go around. And some people are shocked by this, but if you think about it, most distance runners can run two events in track, you know, 5k, 10k, or sprinters can run 100, 200. An 800 guy doesn't really help you in cross normally, and no one can do one event in track. Plus, there was a good post by JHA on the message board, and he listed the number one recruit in the 800 over the last five years going into the NCAA on the men's side. Sean Torpy, Cameron Cooper, Josh Hoey, Darius Kipiego, and John Lester. None of those guys are exactly household names. There is something to me about the 800. A lot of guys can get down to kind of the 150 range, and it doesn't necessarily translate to getting a whole lot faster in college. Yeah, there, there was actually one other thing I wanted to mention from the Oregon Relays. I know we kind of moved on to that meet. Do we want to talk about the 100 at all? I kind of view this as pretty important. Trayvon Bromel and Noah Lyles, we didn't even talk about this race. It was a blowout. Bromel got an amazing start. I then post reaction times. I'd really like to see it because Robert actually, you thought he he reacted unnaturally quickly. Do you think this was a full start that was covered up, Robert? Yes. I've never seen anyone get that good of a start. I mean, way faster than everybody else. And then they don't publish the start times. Can we write USATF and try to get them, John? It seemed weird to me. I'm not saying negative, but this race, I like this race. Weldon loves Bromel. It's a great comeback story. He looked amazing. That was one. He's got a, an unreal start. It was amazing. But he beats Noah Lyles by 0.16, which I know is a dis- destruction. But I actually was impressed by Lyles in the sense of I thought his speed of the last half of this race was good. He looked good to me. He beat some good names. I'm not sure that Noah Lyles is going to be this. I was hoping for this Usain Bolt performance where he it far exceeds what he's done in the past and, and approaches world records. I'm not sure he's going to do that. I'm not fully confident that, but I'm, I was impressed by this race and I'm no longer worried that, you know, he may not make the Olympic team or something like that. Well, I think he still could miss the Olympic team. I was kind of confused. Ronnie Baker was a DNS. I don't know why that was. I would have liked to see him stack up, but no, I thought, I agree with you, Robert. I thought this was fine by Noah Lyles. Um, and he's going to, as the weather gets warmer, as they get close to the trials, he's you know he, he'll he'll get he'll improve he'll keep improving. Bromel though, I'm kind of it's interesting to me. The last two years, the fastest hundred meter time has been set by a 400 runner. Last year it was Michael Norman four eight six, and over the weekend Fred Curley, who has been on a rampage, setting lowering his hundred PB this year, went from ten oh three down to nine ninety one in Miami. Now. I think that race had a 2-0 tailwind, and it's also in Miami. It was a lot better conditions for sprinting. But I was like, holy crap, 991 for a 400 guy? Him, Wade Van Niekirk, and Michael Norman, now the only four, three guys to go under 44 in the 400 and under 10 in the 100. So I thought that was pretty crazy. Uh, but do you guys, I mean, right now, if you had to pick a 100-meter favorite in the Olympics, who do you have? Because I think I have Bromel. I got Michael Norman, then Curley. Than Bramel. No, just kidding. It's crazy that these 400 guys are doing this. And I, I don't know enough about sprinting, but clearly I think some of the coaching has changed on, on what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, I mean, I think a Norman is like, 
a pure four two guy, and he runs that time last year. And Fred Curley, he's a big dude, and I mean, I guess Usain Bolt's a really tall guy, but nine nine one, and he's been running a lot of hundreds and two hundreds. I mean, he ran well two of them, you know, prelims and finals, March twentieth. Another two on April fourth, and I guess this same thing. I guess he's run three different meets, prelims and finals, and gotten faster every time. Ten eleven, ten oh three, nine nine one. Just super impressive. Yeah. Well, if, I don't know if you guys follow Fred Cully on social media. It can kind of be an adventure at times. He's a bit cryptic with what he posts, but he's been posting the number forty two a lot. I mean, he's thinking big. He's thinking world record in the 400 meters this year. So that's a good, if his 100 is any indication, it's a pretty good start. The 400 could be stacked because Curly's, everyone's kind of been, well, Michael Norman didn't even make the finals at Worlds last time, but he's so good. And Niekirk, but Curly, when he's on, that guy a couple years ago, I thought, oh man, he was really going to do something. But kind of outside of NCAs, I think a lot of the world doesn't know who this guy is. He's had some Diamond League success, right? But I can't wait for the Olympics. I'm just, I'm really excited about this. And I'm actually kind of excited the fact that the Diamond, most of the Diamond Leagues are going to be after the Olympics. There's going to be some mysteries to what's going to be happening at these things. So, I mean, I, the U.S. trials will tell us a lot about the Americans, but it's going to be, you know, amazing on their front. Guys, we're close to an hour in and we've got an amazing interview with Jai Edwards, so we need to wrap this up soon. But what about this race from Uganda? Joshua Cheptegei has been beaten, only third in a race in Uganda, which confirms what I've been saying since he set the world record in 10,000. He's no longer the best guy in Uganda. Kind of kidding, but Caplimo did beat him, you know what, in those half marathons and whatnot. And now he's lost a 1,500-meter race. He ran 337.6 for third in the Uganda race. And there's a thread on Let's Run. I, I really didn't like this thread saying, Cheptegei, suspicious. Um... He's like, he should be able to run 337 easily if, he, if he's a World Rec 1235 guy. I wonder if he was on drugs. Come on, people. First of all, to run 337 and lose a close race to Ronald Musagala, who's a 330 national record holder, is nothing wrong for the 5K, 1,000, 10,000 guy doing that in April. At altitude, it's like 30, it's, it isn't like 3,000 feet of altitude, so it's probably like a 334, 335. Like, that's fine. I, I didn't have a problem with this race. This, to me, didn't think that I should be worried about him at all right john i i don't think of him as unbeatable no i think that the 5000 could be a fantastic race no you shouldn't be worried i think you have the right take on this robert i mean here's the thing and this is a general problem in track and field is when we have athletes dropping way down to run a distance that they don't normally compete at like the 1500 here or maybe cole hawker with an 800 or something like that and people will see the result and they'll be like Oh my god, like this guy's PR for this distance. It's it's only 149 or something or he's only run 337 for 1500. How's he supposed to kick? It's like guess why his PR isn't that fast? He doesn't run the event. Like you'll get to these major championships and it'll be like, "Oh, well he only ran 337." Yeah, that was a race probably some practice meet 5 years ago in April, you know? And so people will be going into these big events and saying, "Oh, Cheptegei's PB is only 337 for 1500." And it won't take into the account, well, yeah, because he's not running 1500s or training for them. Like, it's not a big deal. So I think, in general, people's PBs at events that they re- very rarely run are just way overrated in, in this sport. 
Well, I can't believe that I didn't see the flaw in my argument. I made that argument for Chapter Guy, but then early in the show, started by blasting Hawker for not running a faster 805,000. So, Cole Hawker, I still love you. By the way, the Hawker shirts are coming in. Today's the 20th. On Thursday, they'll be here. I'll be shipping them out. We have a few that haven't almost totally sold out. So if you want one, you better get one because it'll probably be sold out by this time next week. And then I realized we still haven't talked about 10 men, firing 10 men. We need to do that. And also, guys, Alex Smith has retired from football. And I was just thinking, I was reading an article on Yahoo about him. And it said this, he was so skinny, skinny in high school that his father, Doug Smith, encouraged him to run cross country. What could have been if Alex Smith had turned down the hundreds of millions of dollars in cross country in NFL riches and Ben Galen Rupp? Also wanted to give a shout out to the race organizers in Australia for the run the first annual Run the Tan Showcase. This was a really cool race concept. There's a thing called the Tan Running Loop. It's a run, it's a sounds like it's a 3.8.7 kilometer loop on stone that like everybody runs in Australia. So they had a race, and like Stewie McSwain won it and almost beat Kicker Matram's record. So it's kind of like the fastest known times concept, but it's actually a race. So I thought that was a cool concept. But that's all I have except for we've got to talk about, last but not least, before the interview, um, we talked about it briefly on the Supporters Club podcast last Friday, but the Tim and Elite group, which was founded by Drew Hunter, um, the American 2019, the former U.S. junior record holder in the 1500 or the 1500 indoor mile and in 3000 who made world's team for the U.S. in the 5000 in 2019. They have terminated the services of their coach, Tom Tenman Schwartz. What to make of it, John? Well, it's just an ugly situation. And we talked about this a little bit on the Friday 15, but this group was started with. Drew moving to Boulder and he was being coached remotely by Tom who lived in Idaho. And then Drew started getting athletes joining his group. And eventually there was enough of them that they said, Hey, you know, we'd like Tom to move to Boulder and, you know, start coaching us. And the other athletes sort of pulled together. I think his wife, Tammy posted on our message boards. They were paying him $2,000 a month. Drew was also paying him uh, a stipend as well. And that was his job. And, but the problem was they started this group under the idea that there wouldn't really be issues down the road, that it would be a long-term thing and that everything would go harmoniously, which is you know, understandable that everything was going well for Drew Hunter at that point in his career. And now that, unfortunately, like now Drew wants a coaching change, which is totally understandable. Like if you start, if you feel you're stagnating or you're having some injury issues, he's not the first runner to change coaches, and that's obviously within his rights. The problem was there is now they don't know how to it's kind of like a married couple, they don't know how to divide up the assets, right? Because they've got this Tin Man Elite brand name, which the athletes have done a great job of marketing, of building up, selling merchandise, doing YouTube videos. Like, I'm very impressed with how they've been able to build up a following through that. But the name is Tin Man Elite. It's Tom Schwartz's name. So they kind of have to figure out how to divide that up. And then Tom did not have any sort of long-term co- contract, but he uprooted his life with his wife and his child to move to Boulder. And so now he's kind of left up in the cold and left scrambling. So it's kind of unfortunate 
And there's been posts on the message board. Tammy Schwartz has, you know, been posting on there as a long thread. So it's just kind of getting, it's kind of just an unfortunate situation all around, I think. Yeah, you guys say we kind of talked about it. We talked about it a decent amount on the Friday 15. I thought that was it. But because at that point, Tim had a statement out. Drew Hunter had a statement out from his mom. And I kind of thought that was going to be it. And then people, I feel like, I don't follow social media too much, but people on Let's Run came on kind of critical of the guys for dumping Tom or the way it was done. They're like, it's his name. He needs to keep his name. And then Tammy Schwartz came on the message boards and started posting some stuff. And I feel like inflammatory, inflaming things a bit. And then another statement came out from the Timman guys, kind of clarifying more that Tom was getting paid. And that, but making it sound like then that they were unhappy because he wasn't dedicating enough time to the group, which was sort of different than what I had heard. And I, I just don't know how this ends. I don't think it's going to end positively. Like, well, I think mistakes were made all along. Everyone here is an adult, first of all. Drew Hunter's a young, young adult, but everyone here is an adult, so we can hold them to high standards. And I think just a few mistakes were made. One, Tom should have never gone out there with a long term contract. Two, if you name a group after somebody, he probably should be getting royalties or something. Like, and Tom should have insisted on that. Because, but then there also is public perception. If he then leaves, and but the athletes did a lot of the marketing. It's about them, but also they named it after Tom. So the lore of Tom Schultz, the lore of Tinman, helped create this group. And it's just kind of sad that. But also, how can Drew leave and still call it Tinman? I think he could be part of Tinman Elite and have a different coach, but I guess it doesn't really work. I don't know. I, I don't see how where we go from here. I, I wish everybody well. I think I don't know. I think Drew Tinman is a great coach. He knows how to do the X and O's. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if coaching of coaching a, a group in person is different than designing workouts remotely. So I, this maybe was destined to fall apart at some point, but. I don't know. Look, this isn't that complicated. And I tried to jump in and be the adult in the room and help them move on by issuing gracious statements. I don't know where the agents were involved in this case. I don't know where Adidas was involved in this. Um, one, I said, yes, Timmy knows his stuff. He's obviously very knowledgeable about coach. He works with so many good high schoolers. But he may be a better remote coach than in-person coach. I can totally understand why Drew wants a new coach. All of those are true. Number three, the way they fired him was inexcusable. You don't have a guy work for you for five, six years and then fire them remotely without speaking to him in person. That's unacceptable. Four, give him his name back or give him royalties. They have the cool logo. They can just change it to Axe and Hammer. It's not a big deal. You know, move on. Why they were trying to hide this until after the Olympic trials was ridiculous. Why someone thought that would work was not a good idea. Well, I know why, Robert, because they didn't want it playing out on the Let's Run message boards like it has. It's turned into a fiasco. And that's the other thing. I don't want to say, oh, it's playing out on the Let's Run message boards. I tried to get these guys to be the adults in the room, make a statement, help them out. So um, I, there was two posts in the message board that I really liked. One, Adidas really dropped the ball here. They let a teenager and his parents essentially dictate the terms of his professional training for the next decade. What a joke. Contrast that with a group like the BTC with a coach who's in total control of the workouts, mileage, camps, races, and the training group actually makes sense. And then here's another quote, and I think this came from a top coach. I have reason to believe this is from one of a top coach in America. There's so much I have to say about this situation. 
but largely it speaks to the lack of professionalism in running, that the coach of a group isn't protected by a contract, that the inmates can essentially run the asylum, and that an adult man's mom is making statements on his or his team's behalf. I think that's a little bit harsh, but I do think it's hard to have a team when the athlete's in charge. The coach has got to be in charge. You know, and you're starting to see that actually in the NFL and stuff like that. When the players are in charge and the coach isn't in charge, it's very hard for the coach to be the coach. I mean, LeBron has more power in any organization than, you know, the thing. And where he goes, he he rules the bros. So I just think that, I don't know, it's not that big of a deal. For some reason, people think it's shocking that people are discussing about this. Yes, when you have a YouTube channel, this group has already already pulled way more weight. People pay way more attention to this group than they should have. I've never really paid that much attention to them because they've only got one elite runner in it. They've got one guy that really is at the elite level that's really in the discussion of let's run, of who's going to make a world and Olympic team for the U.S. So the rest of the – they get I think they've gotten more feedback because, A, people are jealous. Other runners have the same ability are jealous that they can do this. And – Kudos to them. They've kicked a, created a kick-ass brand. And B, there's other people who are, you know, don't like that Tim Mann acts like he knows everything because he's pretty you know, confident in his ways. So it's just, I don't know. I don't think it's that big of a deal. People move coaches all the time. I would have done it differently. I hope that he's, they financially can try to help him out a little bit. But, you know, I think you hinted at it, John, earlier. I said to me, he should have never, I said yesterday on the message board, he should have never moved out there without a long-term contract. Totally stupid on his part. But I said, to me, this shows you how powerful the dream is. You know, I took a job at Cornell for $13,000 a year just assuming that, hey, this is going to be great. It'll work itself out. We also all know how strong the coach-athlete bond is when things are going well. You, They never imagined it would go turn ugly. John, you said it. They say never to go into business with friends or family, because you don't imagine it's going to go wrong. And it does go wrong. And it's not just them that it goes wrong. Look at the New Jersey, New York track club. Gagliano has split with his old assistants and they have two rival groups, but we don't have to, no one's talking about it. Why? Because they don't have a damn social media YouTube channel. So if you don't want people talking about you, don't create a social media damn YouTube channel and we won't be talking about you. Real quickly, I'm Gagliano, 84 years old, 60th year of coaching. I don't think Robert knows this. My phone rings yesterday, Frank Gagliano. I didn't even know I, I had his number. And who is this? I think he had like Let's Run in there. He didn't know it was me or, me or you, Robert. And I'm like, it's Weldon. And he goes, Robert? So Robert, like, no, he first asked for Robert. I said, no, it's Weldon. Oh. And he's like, I just w- want to talk about something you guys wrote. And it was a recap of Isaac Update Updike's win at the Oregon Relays. And we said he that the Empire Track Club emerged from the ashes of the New Jersey, New York Track Club. And Gags is like, I don't like that phrasing. I'm alive and well. I hope to that he's coaching two athletes. Once it be known, he hopes to be coaching, you know, it's pretty much as long as he's living. Um, he's They've got a 501C. They hope to, you know, now he realizes no one's going to switch right now. So he's going to coach his two athletes. And then after the trials, he wants to bring on a couple more assistants and keep on coaching, I guess, for years 61 and 62. So, but I thought it was cool. I'm like, wow, Gags is reading very in-depth on a Let's Run article at the age of 84. The guy is still very sharp mentally. Um, right. But this shows you, this is perfect because it shows you, A, 
even 84 year old men break up with their, you know, 50 year old assistants. Sometimes it's not, it's not pretty. B, no one likes seeing negative stuff written about them, whether it's an 84 year old man like Gags or 24 year old guy like Drew Hunter. So it's all fine, people. This is normal. It's just no, normally not sort of, you know, you don't have the wife of somebody posting a lot of By the way, if you want to follow posters, if you're a VIP subscriber, you can follow posters and be notified when someone posts it. So the next time Tammy Schwartz posts, you won't have to search for it. Yeah, that thread's kind of crazy. It's so long now that when people can sort of just post, the following feature is helpful because I can't keep refreshing like a 20-page thread. The, the, the other thing that I was going to say was, yes, Drew Hunter was a superstar in college, but there's plenty of superstars that don't make Olympic teams. And we've talked about this. High school, Robert. Yeah, sorry. But, you know, young phenoms, German Fernandez, no Olympic team. Webb made one. Chris Zielinski made zero. Here's another name, Eric Jenkins. Is Drew Hunter really that much more talented than Eric Jenkins? I think if Eric Jenkins had big time coaching in high school, he might have been a superstar too. A lot of these guys, you know. So, okay, let's put predictions out there. Is Drew Hunter on the Olympic team this year? No, but that doesn't mean he's a failure if he doesn't make. It's a really, really hard team to make. I don't think that's debatable. Does Drew Hunter ever make an Olympic team? Now that's a better question, because twenty twenty four he'll have a, he'll be twenty six then. And he'll be 30 in 2028. So he'll have two real great shots at it. Oh, I don't know. I I think I'm leaning towards no, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't, certainly wouldn't shock me to see him make the team in 2024. It kind of depends where he ends up. Like who's, you know, is Joan going to, his mom going to coach him? Is Corey Leslie going to coach him? Like, what's the, where's the situation well, go? I was going to say no, but he's not. People act like he's not good. I mean, people act like Cooper Tier is really, really, really good. I mean, Drew Hunter is basically as good as Cooper Tier, right? And Drew Hunter already made a team in 2019. I mean, they're 5,000 times are very similar. I actually thought. Yeah, Drew- Cooper, Cooper beat uh, Drew at the trap meet by like a second or maybe less, yes. in December. And Cooper's a little younger, but he's not that much younger. And Cooper's wearing super spikes, and Drew's not. So I thought Drew, actually, that 13, whatever he ran, 18 or whatever it was, was fine, because I thought, okay, if he improves eight seconds and then gets super spikes, he'll be in 13-minute low shape but come the trials. Yeah, once... I mean, Adidas has got to get the super spikes out there. So Drew is at a disadvantage. So I think that is one thing going for him. At the same time, though, for... Drew, if you sneak on an Olympic team, uh, the general public really does. I don't care. Most people don't care too much about that. For him to be a truly international star, I don't think continuing to train in Boulder with this group is what he needs. Being coached, self-coached or coached by his mom or whatever. I just don't think that's the stimulus he needs. How many truly international stars do we have in this in this country, though? I, I, I think Weldon's take is terrible here. I mean, I, again, I, I've tried to make... C- tie this theme in throughout the podcast today. Alexa Frameson. Coach doesn't make the runner. I mean, like... Okay, Robert, just tell me how many self-coached guys are making Olympic teams. I mean, Alan Culpepper was one of the few guys who sort of trained by himself and was coached and made the team. Most guys have a coach. This is well done. I mean, I guess you can have your spouse can be your coach and maybe your mom can coach you or whatever. But I just think like... 
what they're doing now is not that much of a change of what they did before. It doesn't seem to me it's kind of the same principles. Joan Hunter's on the record saying, like, Tinman's a genius. They name the club after Tinman. These guys, you know, the I'm going to joke, call them the Tinman sub-elite. The sub-elite guys, the rest of the guys in the group, most of them have progressed pretty well. It's just, you know, where are they going to go? How much better are they going to get? Um, and I hope a couple of them prove us wrong and make, make an Olympic team. Well, that, that's my point. I don't necessarily think they're going to get that much better. Maybe a few of them will. I do think they need more professionalism in the group, and I think he's a better remote coach than in-person group. I said I don't have a problem with it. I have a problem with the way it went down a little bit, um, and I think it's an unfortunate situation. But this whole idea that, oh, you have to be a pro coach. People, he doesn't have the mindset. Blah, blah, blah. I do. I, actually, we talked, we talked about gags. The perfect way, and I've only spoken – I've never spoken to Tom Schwartz until last week. The perfect coach in the world – would be if you could combine Frank Gagliano and Tom Schwartz. One guy has all the charisma and character, and one guy has all the X's and O's. And, you know, probably the closest we've come to that John saying is John McDonald in the background. So that would be the world's best coach. And I think that he was used to doing just the X's and O's as the high school remote coach. The mother or the local coach sort of implements it, makes sure the day-to-day life, the eating and all that is, you know being taken care of. But I always say, I, mean, I guess even Wade Van Neeker doesn't go this. Look at Annie Bothma. Who'd she ever coach? She's some like 80 year old grandmother. This is one of the best stories. I can't believe the story's not played up more. Some 80 year old white grandmother coaches some black dude in South Africa to like the world record in the 400. But even now he thinks that's not enough and he needs to switch coaches. So he's doing it, which is good. Cause you always think there's something else. If I did something else, if I did it like other people, it's going to be better. Maybe it is. I hope it is, but history has shown me normally it's not. I just want to state for the record that Annie Bothmer was a runner, college runner at Coastal Carolina, and Anne's Botha is the person you're referring to, the uh, septuagenarian coach of Wade Van Niekirk, Robert, just setting it straight. Are they related? They have different last names, so probably not. All right, we are way over... You're overcooked. We're giving you guys an extra day to digest this episode, so you have plenty of time to listen to it this week. But we have a great interview with Jai Edwards coming up, uh, so that's going to come up right after this. And for the record, I advocated not releasing the full Jai Edwards podcast. Only subscribers would get that. But Jonathan Galt said, no, the masses need this full interview. But John, that would have kept us the time shorter if I had like edited out part of it and only made it for subscribers. But enjoy. We had a lot it. of takes this week. We had a lot of takes to fire off. There's a lot to talk about. So you get the jumbo yeah. size pod. We essentially did our normal podcast. And now we've got 45 minutes with Jai Edwards. It's worth a listen. You can listen to this, you know, this weekend or something. And Cornell right. Runners, remember... Sign up for the VIP. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Enter the code cheap bastard to get 50% off. And remember, rate and review the podcast as well, guys. If you enjoy what you listen to, just go on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you listen to it. Five-star review. Leave a comment. Spread the word. We'd love to hear from you. And we're still waiting for some good voicemails. one let's run Option 7. Leave a voicemail for the podcast. Please, please, please. All right, here he is, Jai Edwards. We are now very excited to welcome on our guest for today's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. It is Jai Edwards. Now, two months ago, Jai had a 341 personal best for 1,500 meters and I'm going to say pretty much unknown outside of Australian running circles. But 
A lot has changed over those last two months. He's won all four of his races in 2021, three of them in personal best time. And if you haven't seen his most recent victory at the Australian Championships on April 18th, pause the podcast right now, go watch it, because it is one of the races of the year. Okay, now that you guys have watched it, you know that Jai took down Australian record holder Stuart McSwain to win his first national title and hit the Olympic standard in the process with a personal best of 333.99. And most importantly, he clinched a spot to Tokyo where he will compete in his first Olympics this summer. Jai, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. Thanks, thanks guys. Uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, where are we talking to you from right now? Because it's Monday night in the United States, but where you are, it's actually, it's already tomorrow. So where are you at the moment, Jay? Yeah, so I'm here at home, which is Canberra at the moment, which is where I live and train out of, the nation's capital here in Australia. And I'm actually from the coast, just south of Sydney, but I moved to Canberra when I was just out of high school, about 18 years of age, and to, to train with Dick Telford and, yeah, haven't looked back since. I think you're making history. To my knowledge, you're the first Australian to appear on our podcast. So you make the Olympics, appear on the Let's Run podcast, pretty pretty uh, equal achievements, right? Oh, absolutely. I, this might even take the cake, so. <laughs> Johnny also said he's an occasional podcast listener. We always have to plug ourselves on this podcast. And I didn't realize, undefeated this year. You keep that streak going. <laughs> it's going to end pretty well for you. Yeah, well, for the moment, I guess. I'm planning to head over to Europe, so I think that'll come to an abrupt halt. But relatively, I actually I got third in a 3K back in November. But since then, over sort of 1,500 in the mile, it's been been pretty good so far. So what do you do? Are you still training right now? Are you taking any time off? Because we've got still four months until the Olympics. Yeah, so at the moment, still still training. But I kind of had a bit of a down week after our nationals. Um Nothing, nothing crazy. Just, just more keeping it going, just some jogging. But been back to it since since Saturday. We sort of got back to sessions, and um, I think that's going to be the plan. I mean, like you said, there's still a long time. But in saying that, still don't want to get too lazy about it and, and stop stop what we're doing. But yeah, like you said, a long time to go, and hopefully can sort of peak at the right time come late July, early August. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to start with the race because as we, you know, as I said in the intro, I, I watched this race. I was just like, wow, that was amazing. It's very rare you see that sort of race in a championship setting where with it going so fast with someone like Stewie taking it from the gun. So I'm curious, like, what were you thinking going in? And did you have any idea that McSwain was going to take it out as hard as he did? Yeah, so coming into the race, I mean, I was probably... I don't know. For me, I was probably about 95% sure that's how it was going to play out. Just given McSwain, how good he is, he's got, you know, three seconds or more on the rest of the field. And he's just such a quality athlete. And that's sort of the race that suits him best if he just goes out from the gun. And when I watched his heat, it looked like he was just kind of practicing that. He sort of got out pretty hardy. And his heat, he went through in 154, I think, and just coasted it in. Um, in the first eight, so which is just you know pretty unbelievable. Um, so I, that was you know I was pretty sure, but it was, you're never certain in these types of races. So that was always kind of the plan. But I really thought that one of his teammates, at least, or maybe two, might have went with, or at least tried to hold on. So I was thinking originally maybe sitting about third and um, just you know hold hold back a bit and, and see what we have left. But uh, hundred and 
20 meters, 150 meters in, I just saw he opened up a slight gap just very quickly. And it was just a quick decision. I thought, well, I'm here. It's a national final. Might as well get on it, which was um, Coach Dick Telford's instructions. And he just said, you know, he just said, like, you can you can beat these guys. Like, you know, you got to just give yourself a chance. So I was obviously very unsure, but I thought, well, got to have a go. And um, I was just lucky that it, everything went the way it did. Like, I was just very fortunate with it all. Like, there was a bit of, I guess, wind around. Um, and, you know, it wasn't windy as such, but it was a bit of breeze, which would have made front running tough. And um, Stewie obviously copped all that and just being tucked in behind, I was just able to sort of get a nice sit for 1,400 metres and, and that was the rest. But when you get races like that, it doesn't get much more perfect for me. Yeah, I'm curious if he hadn't done that, you know, you entered the race, you needed the Olympic standard of 335. So were you thinking, I'm going to take this out, I'm going to try to hit the standard or were you just thinking, I'm just going to race for the win and I'll try to get the standard later? Yeah, I was definitely more leaning to just trying to get, like just trying to run it and get the win. Um and that's the thing, like everything's just changed so much because my original plan was this, they're putting a couple of races on um, in Queensland up north for us in sort of throughout, I think, late May to June. And um, my plan was to originally target those and try and hit a qualifier here in Australia before then. But now with this all sort of happening and it panned out the way it did, it's changed everything. Now I'm looking to go to Europe to get some races in and, and a bit of training as well. And um yeah, like I, I really didn't expect, you know, I guess to, to win it first of all, but in that time as well, um, that was the biggest shock, I think. And did you realize like in the race how fast you were going? Like one, you know, 152 through 800, that's sort of uncharted territory for you. Were you, you know, did you see that? And what were you thinking when you, if you did realize how fast it was? Yeah, so I, like I knew it was quick, but I was just trying so hard not to look at the clock. I was like, oh, I don't even want to know. Like I just... If I could just sit on McSwain and just look at his back and just hopefully it doesn't get too far away. I was kind of just expecting to, to pop. Like I thought I'd get, I don't know, every 200 I thought, oh, geez, like I'm, I'm going to start feeling bad. And um, it was pretty good. Like it never really felt terribly uncomfortable, which was good. But um, the pacing was, was pretty even, which, which Stewie does really well. But, yeah, I had a fair idea roughly what it was like Um I think it was about the 800. I just saw 152 pop up. I thought, geez, like, you know, this is this is pretty quick. But yeah, like I said, I just just tried so hard not to look at it and just block it, block it out, and just just run the race and try and stick on as best as possible. And did you know you had him with 100 to go? I was mildly confident, but until I pretty much crossed the line, I wasn't sure. Like I, I knew I sort of had another gear, but on the straight. But I just you never know what these guys have. Um, as well so yeah mildly confident but until across the line I'd, I'd say I wasn't wasn't too sure so what's your plan the next few months I mean between now and the Olympics are you gonna you're gonna go over to Europe you, you think like when exactly do you think you'll go over how many races you think you'll do before the Tokyo yeah so we're sort of in the middle of working all that out now which um as I was saying before it's just all happened so quickly so it's it's hard to, I don't know, like wrap my head around. It's just all happened so fast. And um, not long ago, we were just, just talking about doing the nationals and, and focusing on that. But now there's all this come up and, you know, we've got to try and get over to Europe and get some races in. So I think for me, um, I'm going to target a few races. I've apparently been accepted into Doha and Gateshead Diamond League. So 
I think I'll do those. We're still not too sure, just to see if it all works out. Because again, don't want to sort of peak too early, but I'd love to get that experience in, sort of on the world stage, sort of thing, um, pretty early on. So that's one thing we're thinking about. But the thing is, because there's two week quarantine here in Australia, coming back once I once I leave, I'm gonna have to stay over there until after the Olympics. So um, it's gonna have to be a long trip. So if we if we go over pretty soon, which I think we're planning on going sort of late May, um, then we're just going to have to stay over there and race and then go to Japan from there, given it all goes ahead. One question back on the race. I think at the Aussie trials, like the, the winner's only guaranteed for the team. Did that influence your decision? You figure you have nothing to lose? And were you surprised that no one else went with you guys? Because if you get second, there's no guarantee. So I'm kind of surprised someone else wouldn't go with it or try, at least try to see what happens or they think and you guys might both blow up and sneak a spot that way yeah that's no, a very good point like like you said it's kind of a an all or nothing in a way like it's um you want to run here in australia you want to run the i guess the nationals as well as possible you just it's a, a good thing to do and like you said it's it's first or nothing really like if you want to get that that auto spot but yeah that definitely played a part for me like i thought I'm, i don't really want to i'd love to get a medal but i don't really want to do anything but try and win it so you got to sort of put yourself in the race and um i think for me as well like i don't know if it influenced their decision at all but with the other guys training with stewie maybe they'd see him train just think like i don't know this guy's absolutely nuts and uh, i don't you know in training maybe they're not not close which is probably very true and i'm probably lucky i don't see that as much and i just got instructions to try and sit on him and i thought I may as well. I think my coach Dick would have belted me if I if I didn't, and just sat back in that pack and just let him go. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did it. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so you're you're on the team for sure. The last two picks, Athletics Australia will decide. You know, if you were in control, who would you pick for the other two spots? This, <laughs> see, I, I, that's why I'm so lucky. Like everything's just lined up so well. It couldn't have happened any better because. Right now, I'm in Australia. My three three thirty three ninety nine is actually the slowest out of the three because um, we got Shuey, who's he's run three thirty, but in the qualifying period he's run three thirty one, I think technically. Um, and then we got Ollie Hoare, who just won that race the other day. He's run three thirty two indoors and now three thirty three five. And we've still got we got a fourth Matthew Ramsden, who he's run the qualifier in Perth, so which is um, his hometown on, on the west west coast. He did that. Um, he ran just under 3.35. We got, you know, that's, that's four guys who have run the time. There's definitely another one or two who can. One of my training partners, Rory Hunter, he's, just, he's on the big improve. Um, so I'm confident we can, you know, get him there or very close. Um, so, yeah, I think just right now, middle distance and particularly 1,500 meter running in Australia is just unbelievably strong and I don't know. Like I'm, I'm just so lucky I've got that auto because had I not, I don't. I'm not confident I would have been picked. But there's also the other side to it is Stewie. He's already qualified for the five and the ten as well, so he's pretty much got the pick there. You know, so I'm not sure what what exactly he's going to do with that. And um, but yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to say at this stage because there's still a good couple of months left. But um, it'd be hard to go past Ollie Hawke given everything he's done and. I guess we'll just have to wait and see for the rest because it's still quite a bit of time. Yeah, well, he said, you know, I talked to him after his race on 
Saturday, and he was like, yeah, like, I'm not going to find out if I'm on the team until July. And I'm like, oh my God, that's just such a long time to wait after the trials. Um, so, you know, you, you're in a good spot for sure. It's funny because like um, almost any other year, you, you run the standard and you're pretty much guaranteed, you know, like it's, it's as simple as that. But this year, you, you run the standard, you're not. It's just crazy. Yeah, and the standard's harder. I mean, this is the hardest standard they've ever had for the Olympics, you know, and uh, it's pretty impressive. Four Australians have it right now. I just looked it up. Only three Americans have it, which is kind of surprising. Only Centrowitz, Josh Thompson, and Craig Engels. So Australia right now, uh, deeper in the 1500 than the USA. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Crazy time to be a middle-distance athlete, that's for sure. Yeah, Australia's winning everything right now. You guys are... Winning the COVID, winning the 1,500 meters. Yeah, for now, let's hope it stays that way. You were talking about Europe a second ago, and going over there, like, one, have you been away from Australia for that long of time? I mean, it sounds like, because I was thinking when you first started saying this, I'm like, there's no way he can go back, right? And you can't. But have you been away for a long time? It sounds like that is kind of factoring in, like, when you actually leave. But, I mean, the racing opportunities might be so good, it's worth it to go, but... Have you had a lot of experience away from Australia? Me personally, no. Um, just given like my histories, that's why I haven't really been around that much on the scene the last few years. But I've just had a lot of lot of injuries. Um, uh, I used to I went okay coming off our juniors, which is up to under twenties, and um, yeah, just the last three years or four years, I've barely been able to string much training together. So I've only recently this year done my first sort of proper altitude stint, which for us, is um, there's a couple of different spots, but we go to a spot that's just two hours down the road for us, which is very handy. I've already been up three times, and I think I'm going to go for a quick fourth stint um, in the next sort of the next week or so, which is which is awesome for us. It's up at about seventeen hundred meters, which feet I don't know what that is, but um, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Like I, I haven't had much time away from really away from Canberra, but Definitely not Australia, so this will be it'll be interesting for me. But fortunately, I have a few of the guys over there, like my training partner Rory and and Dick, and also the winner of the steeplechase, James Nipperus, who's also in our squad. So yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be an experience, that's for sure. Like you said, it's you have to pretty much stay over there um, unless you want to spend two weeks in a hotel coming back, which you just can't afford to do, given how close it is. So that does make it difficult, but. There's also the added risk as well because I don't know how well Europe's going at the moment with COVID, but um, there's always a risk of, you know, putting yourself in that environment and, you know, being a, around uh, that that sort of, I guess, yeah, that environment really. Like the, we're going to have to be very careful and, and it's just going to be the same come, I guess, all the way up to, to Tokyo. And I, I did read that uh, apparently if you get, you can track COVID within two weeks of, heading to Japan and you kicked off a team. So it's pretty, um, you know, pretty brutal, but you just got to be so careful. So I'm curious, you know, watching the race, you were, you were racing in a, a singlet that just had your coach's name on it, Telford. Do you have a pro contract right now? Are those, how are those negotiations going? What's your status? Yeah, I heard there was some rumors, but um, nah, no, no contract as of yet. I've been, obviously been approached by a couple of people, but Nah, nothing, nothing, nothing just yet. So I don't know what I'll do there. It's obviously a very big decision, um, and we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But right now, we just we just got to 
a mate of ours about a year or two ago who just made up some singlets for us um, just to, to say Telford and, you know, handed a few of them out. That's pretty much it. So, like, were you getting any interest going into the trials or is this sort of – and has the interest, like, exploded since then or what's it been like? Yeah, um, I got a, a little bit before, like, with a couple of races. I had, I had two races in Melbourne um, within a week and particularly after the second one. Had a little bit after that, but still not not heaps. But um, even since since nationals, I've only really had one or two sort of offers, so it hasn't really exploded as such. Like um, I've you know been hit with some slightly better offers, but still nothing, I guess, unbelievable. So it's hard because as I don't know, as a middle distance runner, you really want to try and be, or at least I really would like to be with, with Nike. I just love their spikes and. I train in their shoes all the time, just just great. Um, but you know, in this sort of sport, you take what you can get. Well, it's a big decision though these days because some of the brands have super spikes and some of them don't, and that's something like. Would you consider like you know, say some brand pays you more, but they're not going to let you race in the super spikes? Like, what would you? How would you make that decision? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great point, isn't it? Like, it's just what you got to weigh up, I guess. It's. Um, for me, obviously, ultimately, Nike is what I'd like to be with only because of the spikes and, and all their shoes at the moment. Um, I think a lot of the other brands are you know, playing catch-up a bit and trying to, I guess, even the playing field there, which is which is hard because, like you said, it's it's such a big decision. And um, particularly in middle distance running, like a second or, or two, it makes a huge difference. And if that's going to be the difference in, in footwear, then you obviously got to, you know, do what's best. So, um, and that could be, even if it is a, a lower offer, that could still be the, the better offer when it comes to, you know, bonuses, prize money, whatever, and everything else between. So, yeah, it's a huge decision and I really I really don't know what um, I'm going to do, but I guess you just sort of wait and, and see what happens from, from here. And hopefully for me, I can just keep, keep running better and, and run quicker and then hopefully it sorts itself out. You're in a great position now, that's all I know. Yeah. Any Nike executives don't think you're getting him cheap. He wasn't saying that. He's in the driver's seat now. He's the hottest thing in track and field. Jai, you need to hold out. Hold out. There's no point to sign before the Olympics unless they're going to pay you big bucks. Yeah. No, I think, oh, like someone did give me some very good advice. He said, you know, don't don't jump on the, the first thing you get. So, yeah, you just got to, I guess, if I hold out and hopefully wait for better things and we'll see what happens. Adidas has got a super spike coming out. Adidas, get, get on this quickly. Adidas, yeah. I, I just increased your value by about 20%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, then you're forgetting there are some brands now that just let their athletes race in Nike spikes and you just have to black them out. Yeah. Ollie Hoare, on. It's incredible, isn't it? Like, it's, yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to sort of work out what's, um, you know, what's right with that because it's so many people are doing it now. It's like, but, I guess everyone everyone runs in the, the dragonflies or the zoo victories, or not everyone, but most. And um, I don't know. I just feel like it's just sort of what you got to wear. But the thing I like the most for me is just how well I pull up. Like back in the day, I used to I'd be sore for a week. My cars would just be wrecked. But now with the the new spikes and the foam, I just I feel great and I can pull up well. And and as well, you you can race. You know, finals or semi finals two days later and feel good. So just a huge turnaround. 
Yeah. Yeah. We talked, uh, we had Ben True, an American, you know, sort of distance runner on, and he was saying the same thing. He's a 10K guy and he never used to work out in spikes. And now he does all the time just because you can recover that much quicker. quicker. Um, so I'm curious, you know, you don't, so you don't have a pro contract. What are you doing? Do you do anything outside of running? I read that you were studying sport and exercise science at the University of Canberra. Are you, are you finished with that degree? Are you still doing that? And do you have like a side job or anything like that? Yeah. So, um, I've been studying that for the last few years. I'm pretty much done. I've got, I'm on my last like subject now, which is obviously I'm doing it a bit slower, but just have one subject left over um, this semester, which I'm just tackling now. Um, I don't know if I'll do anything else. I might, but it's good to have the option there. But yeah, apart from that, I just, um, I have been doing a little bit of work, just, just casual work in, in retail, nothing, nothing fancy, but enough to, I guess, pay the bills and, keep on top of things um but yeah other than that it's just pretty much training and and studying and you know a bit of work keeping busy it's pretty standard life i guess but it's been good the last six months like i've really sort of cut down on the work um and actually been able to train like a proper athlete which has seemed to pay dividends the last few months in particular i want to rewind the clock back to february 2017 you run 341 at the age of 18, which is, you know, terrific time for an 18-year-old. Uh, who were you training with back then? You know, how much and how seriously were you training? Like, we, you know, at that point. Yeah, so, like, I was training seriously for a while. I probably, like, I did a lot of sports growing up and probably focused on track and field when I was, I don't know, maybe 15, 16, started to really focus on it um, and sort of dropped the other sports and just did the one. And then I'd slowly sort of improved throughout high school, which was kind of, you know, 15 to 18, just slowly sort of improved each year and uh, particularly towards the end of high school, which was around that 18 years old. And then um, I was with a coach, John Adderton, his name was, who um, he unfortunately passed away at the end of 2015. But from there, I made the move to Dick Telford here in Canberra, which is when I made the move to Canberra. Um, from from where I was on the coast and yeah just just haven't looked back since like it's been been really good being with Dick and um, I think it was like you said I ran 341 when I was 18 at that was the start of 2017 and um, things were going pretty well then it was I was just in my last year of juniors I had I think I ran a four minute point two mile which um, yeah just missed out on going sub four which would have been great but um, wasn't to be and then I I think I won the under 20 nationals and then I remember in the lead up to that race that was the end of March 2017 and in the lead up to that race I just had a sore Achilles and I kind of just pushed through it I knew I was a pretty good chance of running well at the at the nationals and um, I sort of just trained through it didn't think much of it thought it was just some sort of Achilles tendinopathy or, or something and um, raced both the heat and final of that and then they sort of combine the juniors and nationals with the seniors. So I ran the Opens 1500 just after a few days later and I run, ran the heat of that, just scraped into the final on time, didn't run overly well. And after that race, I just couldn't couldn't walk and really hurt my Achilles bad. And seven months down the track, I'm just getting treated for Achilles tendinopathy. Um, didn't seem to go away for some reason, just never got it scanned. I don't know why. And then it turned out my Achilles was partially torn. So that was all through 2017, pretty much a wasted year. And then got surgery at the end of 2017 as, and 
was I then? 19, a 19 year old. And um, yeah, just just really struggled throughout the next three or four or so years with injury. And it was just all, all sorts of things. That's why I've kind of been off the scene. And I'd be able to get a good maybe three months of training and at best, I'd get into some decent shape. But then it just all come crashing down again. So, yeah, Jake, 2017, you're pretty much a four minute miler as a what, 18 year old. And then you say, oh, things were great with your coach in general, but were you ever tempted to leave? You had four pretty tough years or three pretty tough years after that. Like you were constantly injured. I think some guys might question their coach and it sounds like you think so highly of your coach. So talk about that process a little bit. I knew it wasn't my coach's fault. Like it was, I kind of, I was not long with him when I had that sort of major injury to start with. Um, I'd only been with him for a few months and I wasn't doing anything, you know, ridiculously different to what I'd done in the past which had seemed to work but um yeah when I when I got the Achilles injury and the worst part was it just I went sort of in circles for seven months before I got surgery which just wasted I guess a good portion of the year and then I finally got surgery and end of 2017 and and when I um I guess the next two years I'm trying to get back after surgery and I just had like a bit of an ache in my Achilles so it was sort of my calcaneus bone and I think that was played a part in just like how me getting like re-getting injured I guess like it's I think I was just compensating for that a bit I had I had injuries all over the place like it was right leg left leg high low foot knees hips you know so just it was just sort of everything um and that was really tough because you, you know like like I was saying before you get three or four months of decent training in and even in three months, I would get myself into reasonably good shape, but it then just all come crashing down. I'd get injured again. I'd have to go back to square one. I'd always be cross-training, which I think is really good to, to keep things going. But it's just been, you know, it was pretty brutal. It was a brutal few years, and you do. You sort of ask the question, you know, do I do I bother keep doing this? Is, is it worth it? My body's just not letting me do it. Um, but fortunately for me, I just had a great team around me, which I've had for, you know, my whole life really and um, particularly the last few years and I always knew that I had youth on my side. Like I I was only, you know, 19, 20, 21 through a lot of this. So I, I knew that I was only young and, yeah, it was, like I say, it was a rough few years but I got through it and I'm just hoping it's kind of getting out the other side now and I can continue on and, you know, get a good streak of training in. So did anything change? Do you think there's a reason why you've been able to have this consistent stretch of training the last six months or so? Yeah, so with us, we had to, like we've played around a lot with my training and, and different things and we've had to do things differently and it's, it's there's a lot of trial and error and there still kind of is, but yeah, I've done things differently. I'm not a huge, I guess, mileage type of guy. Like I won't run more than, I don't know, maybe... 100 to 120k a week which in miles i'm not sure how much that is but yeah i'm not a huge mileage guy in that respect um a bit more quality over quantity probably more speed based rather than strength um so yeah we've got had to do things differently like that i've i've kind of just just played around with it i've got um i wear actually hoppers now for a lot of my all my easy runs really so i just got the biggest um, bigger shoes I could find, the big hogas, 
and just run around in those uh, for all my easies, which seemed to be good. I just thought the biggest, bulkier shoes I could get. Uh, also with the the new technology shoes as well, like your your Nike Next Percents and Dragonflies and all that, just so much softer and and so much better to train in. Um, so that's been really good, and and yeah, I think that's just been the main few things. Obviously, over the years, I've had to develop different rehab, I guess, exercises and 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 all that just to to stay on top of my body, which has helped a fair bit. But I honestly just think as well, another big factor was for me just I guess maturing. Like my body's probably still growing. I was a bit of a late bloomer through high school, and it just took my body a while to fully develop and and all that. So. I think that's probably also another factor in that. When you're running fast, you know, as a teenager, did you get any interest from US universities? Because it's pretty common for, you know, uh, Morgan McDonald or Ollie Hoare or someone like that to come over. You get the scholarship, you, you know, run the NCAA for a few years. Did you ever get any interest and ever consider coming to the States for university? Yeah, absolutely. I got I got quite a few offers actually, particularly after that around when I was 18 and, and running those those times. Um, around that time, I got quite a few and I was very tempted. I, I was pretty close to coming actually. I got I even got um, like offered from Ollie Hoare and, and Morgan and that. They got in touch with me you know, at, at Wisco and, and all that and, and plenty of others and I was pretty close to doing it. But there was a good group here in Canberra, which for me is only two and a half hours down the road from, from home. And I don't know, I just thought, I'd like to have a good crack here, and I feel like I can run just as well here as I can halfway across the world. Halfway across the world, but in saying that, like, was it the right decision? I, I don't know. It, I never, probably never will know. And part of me kind of regrets not not giving it a go. But yeah, it is what it is, and you know, it would have been would have been great to to be over there because so many people have thrived off it, as such as your your Morgans and your Ollie Hawes and Jessica Hull and all that. So yeah, it's. Um, you know, looking back, should I have? Maybe, but I guess here we are and it seemed to work well this last, I guess, few years. Yeah, I was going to ask, what school would you have gone to if you came over here? Well, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't know. I, I really don't. I had quite a few, like, people offer me. Um, yeah, I, I actually couldn't pick. Like, that was another part of the the toughness of, of going over there. Like, I, I just wasn't sure. I, I think based off what Morgan and Ollie were able to do, I feel like Wisconsin would have been a good one to go to. But in saying that, you know, Jesse Hull went to, to Oregon and um, there's been a few others who have gone to other ones. I, I don't know. I, yeah, possibly Wisconsin, I guess, but there's a lot of options. So very tough decision. In Australia, is college paid for by the state or how does that work? Or like you still have to pay to go to college there or that didn't factor in? Yeah, um, we just go to like university, obviously, which is, you know, for me, I just live um, in an apartment outside and we just go to uni from from here, which, you know, it's it's not too bad. It's We don't really have, you know, the setup that you guys have, which would have been great, I think. Um, and that, that was another thing, like I kind of regret, there's just not, you don't have the, the track teams and the, and the systems in place like over there in the US, so... It makes it a lot, lot tougher. The, the funding is just not, not here as well. Um, and a lot of those things made it very tempting to, to go overseas, which is why I think a lot of people do. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough sport at the, at the best of times. So to get that assistance and to have that, those programs in place like 
um, the college systems and all that. It's very beneficial, I think. So, yeah, it was, um, you know, I kind of would have liked to have done it, but I don't know. I, I guess looking back, it's coulda, woulda, shoulda, but I think it's, you know, worked out for the best. I was always confident in, in my training here and, and my coach and training partners. So that's all I can really ask for. I was watching some video after the your championships, and I think I saw your coach in a green Oregon hat. I think your dad had on an Olympic Eugene Tracktown USA hat. Good eye, yeah. Has your dad been to Eugene, or he just has the hat? Or we're actually very good family friends with um the the Hull, so Jessica Hull and and whatnot. So they we're actually from about hometowns are about ten minutes away from each other here in Australia. So. They catch up a fair bit and yeah, her dad brought the the track town hat back for my dad and so he wears that all the time. He loves it and he really wants to get over there actually. Um, you know, as do we. And yeah, Coach Dick got his I think sent to him. He's got a couple of Oregon hats actually, but he loves it. He you know, wears it all the time. Uh, wait, World Championships twenty twenty two, you know, just get your spot on the team, you'll be right over in Eugene. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big one. That's um that's a huge one to make like that. That's going to be up there. I think like not only as, as world champs, but the new track, new event, like the new stadium looks unbelievable. Have you been out yet or? No, I mean, that's the big question actually with us is we, we want to go because the NCAA championships are there this year. The Olympic trials are there this year, but the, the state that it's in, Oregon, obviously, uh, their COVID restrictions are pretty severe right now in terms of like how many people can be at events and that sort of thing. So the media is going to be really reduced. Uh, I think the fans are too, which is kind of a shame. Um, so yeah, kind of TBD about when Let's Run goes there. No, we're going to be there. If we're not there <laughs> by the Olympic trials, I'm done. I'm done. I'm already kind of mentally done with COVID, but that's the oh, problem. People are successful. Like Oregon, the COVID rate's been very low there for the United States. I mean, the rest of the U.S. is, you know, even places that have been terrible with it, they're pretty much open, you know, some capacity restrictions. But Oregon's been pretty strict. So I still got my fingers crossed. There's going to be trials with some fans and some media. and I'm hoping to be there for some of it. Well, I think this is great. I'm just excited that Jai's excited because I know everyone in America who likes track is like really pumped to have the World Championships in Eugene in this big new stadium, but I didn't know if there was going to be the same appetite. Like normally you're having a World Championships in these major world capitals and then this now we're having it in Eugene, which is just kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's not yet that easy to get to. Like So I think that's great that you've got the passion to go, you know, go for this championship as well. The pre-classic this year is in, it's after the Olympics. You keep running fast, you'll get invited to that as well. So Yeah, that's definitely one I want to uh, really want to go to. Like I, I've been told by um, Jess's dad and, and Jess just like how good the atmosphere is there. And that's the problem. Like uh, track and field in the U.S. is just so much better, so much more popular. Everyone gets around it a lot more. Whereas here in Australia, it's just it's only people that really are involved with the sport get around it. and. You know, it's, it's rare to get a crowd really anywhere unless a, a big star comes out from another country. So um, to have that, you know, it's that's really exciting. Like we, we don't, we just don't run in front of big crowds over here. So that'll be that'll be huge. Well, the the dirty little secret here is that we don't have big crowds at any place other than Eugene in the United States either. But 
<laughs> those those crowds are always great like pre-classic ncaa's olympic trials like the olympic trials is an amazing atmosphere uh and you you probably get that if they had it in sacramento or um you know somewhere else but yeah for most like most meets apart from you know outside of eugene aren't that well attended in the united states either uh i'm sure it'd be better than you we um i don't know if you saw any footage from the melbourne track classic back a few weeks ago but the crowd was just dismal like it was we been lucky to be couple hundred people there including athletes it was just terrible so there's just no atmosphere and you know it's it's, it's hard because like you know it's only people who are really good fans of the sport but no one really comes out to, to watch an event like that and Melbourne's a pretty populated city but it was just so so quiet it was unbelievable it's funny you're saying that because I was thinking that track was more popular in Australia than America shows what I know, but we do get crowds, John, at certain things. And then we'll have, you know, Texas relays. People go out for these college meets, sort of one-off things. It's like a cultural thing. That's true. Pen relays, you know, Drake relays, you'll get high school. Some of the high school state meets, you'll get fans there. So, all right. Um, but in terms of like pro track, it's really like, you know, Eugene and college, like the college championships, you know, you want to have them in Eugene if you want the big fans. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, but like big picture coming into this year, you're coming into the summer, you're a four minute miler. Are you thinking I'm going to be a 350 miler and on the Olympic team in three months? Like what was your thought process? What were the goals? The amount you've progressed is pretty amazing. Yeah. Are you saying it like my goals as an 18 year old at the time? No, this season. Let's rewind till last November. You're essentially a four minute miler, you know, yep. 341 guy. And now you're a 333 guy, which is a 349 miler. So are you thinking like, oh, I'm going to be a sub 350 guy on the Olympic team? I mean, it's pretty much rags to riches. Like what was the goals? What were you thinking? What was your coach telling you? Yeah, well, it's a a very good point there because this season, like I was one of those very lucky people where, you know, it's terrible and, and whatever as COVID has been. COVID was really my saving grace, I guess. Like a year ago, I wouldn't have been a, a chance of even being close to even thinking about the Olympics. So this extra year for me has been a, a blessing, I guess. But yeah, it's just been a, a huge six months, really. Um, it's I wasn't even thinking. I think I ran my 3K around about in November. I ran 7.56, which wasn't bad, but I still didn't feel in incredible shape. Um and even as of December, just a bit before Christmas was that mile um, where I raced Ollie Hoare. And yeah, I ran 3.57. I feel like I could have run a little bit quicker had it been a better race. But but even then, you'd, that's kind of a high 3.30s, um, 1,500 times. So my sort of goal back then was like, okay, I think I can run under 3.40 and I'd love to go as quick as possible. Uh, and then... I think I was thinking in my head around that time, around that 3.37 mark would be great. So, and then, yeah, we, we got up to, to altitude, had a good stint. I still got injured up there. I hurt my calf for two weeks and had the cross train back in January. Um, so it hasn't been a perfect run. And then I, I I went up for a second stint after that and I got I got sick for a week actually, which probably wasn't a bad thing. I think it helped freshen me up a little bit looking back, um, helped me absorb the training a little bit, but I come off that second stint, went down to here in Canberra and a big PB of 337, which that was my first 15 since I'd run 341. And then that's when you're like, okay, well, I thought 337 would have been a good end goal, but now we're sort of here. 
And even that race, I was kind of, um, you know, felt like there was more in the tank. So you sort of start to reassess your goals. It's like, okay, I, I think maybe I can get close to the standard, but I really didn't think I'd sort of get it. Um, and particularly not at nationals because nationals is just notoriously, I guess, tactical. So, yeah, it's been a, just a huge – I think the, the goals have just continuously changed. Like I, you want to put big goals in place, but you can't really say too much. And as well, like my last four years, it's, it's almost been month to month in, in terms of it's been more short-term goals rather than long-term goals because of how things have gone. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been huge. Like each step and each time I've been able to step on the track and run a PV has just been awesome and – I guess even now it's I'm still hungry for more. I'd love to love to be able to run a lot quicker overseas and you know hopefully get into some of these good races and get total on. Well, I mean the next big event obviously is the Olympics. I mean, what's the goal there? Well, that's it. I mean, no one wants to go to an Olympics like making it fantastic, like unbelievable. But you don't want to go there and just get knocked out in the heats and you know be a lane filler, as they say. So I would love to. Like, huge goal, make the final, of course. That's what everyone wants to do. Anything can happen in a final. But I'd love to at least progress to the semis. Um, that would be great. I'd, I'd love to run at least two races. And I guess anything further than that's just a bonus. But, yeah, you just don't want to go there and, um, you know, run poorly and, and you know, just just flop, I guess, on the on the big stage. So it's a lot, you know, a lot, lot riding on it, but it's it's – you know, you, when, you, when you're there, anything can happen. The, the heats and those semis can be run in all sorts of ways. So, just got to hopefully the training goes smoothly and I can go uninterrupted for the next 90 or so days and who knows, get get to the starting line and have a good crack. Yeah. What, one thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, you said the next few months you're going to be looking at a contract, that sort of thing. What I understand, so your coach is Dick Telford. He's one of the top coaches in Australia, pretty well now known down there. But I believe your agent's Nick Badeau, right? Yeah, so kind of like, see, this has only been like all very new. Like this, is, we've only sort of discussed this the last week, and um, there was a lot of talk that Badeau is my agent. We're, we're looking in that direction. I think. I think Dick's been because Dick and Nick have worked with each other for a long time, and it's looking like that's kind of going to be the way we're going to go um, in terms of that with with Nick. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly like not even 100% sure with everything because for me it's just all happened so quickly and it's also new to me. So, But that that is definitely looking like it's going to be the way we're heading. Um, and he, he's pretty much already guaranteed me spots in, like I was saying, the, the two diamond leagues which and then possibly even a third at, at Oslo. So... That, that's huge news. Um, so I it, I think that'll be where we go, but we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. Cause, well, because you mentioned Nick and uh, Dick maybe working together, but from what I understand, you know, MTC, Melbourne Track Club, that's sort of one of the, that's one of the top groups in Australia, and then you guys are also one of the top groups. There's kind of a rivalry between those two groups. Do you think it would be awkward at all having Nick as your agent but Dick as your coach? Absolutely, yeah. It's like that's the thing we've been discussing this past you know week or so. Like it's there's just so much to weigh up, and um, I don't know. I haven't even really I haven't put much thought into it until the last week because I've just never really been at that level. So. For me, it's just all happened so quickly and 
like you said, it is kind of awkward because, yeah, we, we are rivals. I guess at the end of the day, we are all Australians trying to run well on the world stage. But, yeah, like you were saying, it's it's kind of his group and our group. And we are, we are in terms of middle distance running, we are probably the top two rivals squads-wise um, that go up against each other. So, yeah, it, it is a bit weird. I, I don't know how that's going to sort of factor in. But I think one good thing is that, I, you know, I, I hope that he genuinely wants – everyone to, to go well and to be able to get the best out of themselves. But I think, you know, we, we've chatted to, to a lot of their guys and, and they're all very, very nice and, and, and welcoming and um, get along pretty well with them. So, yeah, it's 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 strange. It's a weird sort of dynamic, but um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see and, and time will tell. It would be a little bit weird, but – if he's your agent, he gets a cut of what you make, so he wants you to do well. So I think that'll align some of the incentives. And <laughs> You would think so. Just keep running fast. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I hope now, like, with that time, hopefully thereabouts to get into meets anyway on, on, on performance alone. I think if you're just kind of that 335, 336 bracket, it's you really need the agents to sort of help you in a lot more. Whereas I think if you, you run quick enough like you should be kind you know it should be easier to get into some of these meets so i just hope i can go over there and and run well and and hopefully run even quicker and you know solidify my spot on some of these you know in in some of these meets and um especially like the diamond league circuit like i've just sat from home and watched that i'm a huge fan of those i watch them every every diamond league every every year so to actually be i guess in the mix and, and to be running up against some of these guys, it's just going to be an absolute thrill. Yeah. You mentioned Oslo, Jakob Ingebrigtsen. I could get him into any meet in the world. I'm pretty sure I just pick up the phone and, Oh yeah, no problem. But speaking of, of him, you're a young guy, but you're actually two years older than Jakob. Like has his success kind of, cause there's no doubt how old he is. Some of these Kenyan guys, they say they're 18, they may be 22 or whatever. Has this success sort of changed in your mind what, what was possible for you or, or am I stretching it too far? No, absolutely. Like it's – I just love seeing that and without, you know, I guess like being racist or anything, like you know how good the Africans are at middle distance and distance running. They're unbelievable. And to see a European, you know, Norwegian young kid, not just him but also his, his two brothers, um, Philip in particular, just just – you know, take it to him on, on the world stage. And he's one of the best runners in the world right now. So it's just, it's so good to watch. And like you said, it's it does make you believe like, okay, this is definitely possible. I know he's been very good from a young age and he's just slowly gotten better, but his progression's just been crazy. And to think now, what is he, 21 or so? Like something like that? 20. 20, there you go, even better. So that's, that's ridiculous and it does... You know, you think in your mind, well, if he's 20 and doing this, done a lot of it when he was sort of 18, 19, it's, it's definitely possible for us. So it's good to have guys like that there. And, um, you know, I watch him run all the time and, you know, one of the smoothest movers I've ever seen. So it's, it's so good to, to have that. And it definitely helps us to think that that's possible. Well, I'm excited to see you watch on the Diamond League circuit this summer for sure. And, uh, Hopefully our listeners will be now after learning uh, a bit about you. Well, anything else for Jai before we let him go? No, I'm excited. I feel like, well, one, you know, 
Aussies and I don't know if I'm allowed to praise like Kiwis to an Australian guy, but I am. I feel like Americans, like, cause you guys speak perfect English. Well, you know, it's a little bit strange, but it's. <laughs> no, accents are cool. I think Aussie accents are like the coolest accents. Yeah, you guys have very cool accents. I feel like a lot of Americans, like we root for Australians or Kiwis and like I was flabbergasted the other day to realize Ryan Gregson's now like 30. I'm like, what? He was the young guy like who ran 330 or 331, John? 331. Yeah. So, and now we got you. So you're the new hot guy in Australia. And also you probably appreciate it more because you've been injured. Like people always assume it's like, oh, it's a steady progression. Next year will be better. No, the iron is hot this year. So... I'm excited to see what you can do in Europe and also in Tokyo. So keep the ball rolling. Yeah, no, thanks so much. It's um, I'm very excited to be where I am and can't wait to, I guess, have a good go come May, June, July. I mean, John, journalists, we're not allowed to root for people, but we can root for people on the other side of the world, right? That's allowed, right? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I don't know. You, you can make your own rules. I don't root for anyone in the sport. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. And also, if Rob, my uh, the co-founder of the site's my twin brother, and we 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 made let's run singlets way back in the day. I think we're down to one singlet left. Like maybe he could ship it to you. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have a sponsor by the first Diamond League, we'll ship it out. Overnight. We'll be in competition with Telford Athletics for for the rights. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Nike and Adidas can battle for round two, but yeah, I get the let's run signal on. Sounds good. All right. Well, Jay, thanks so much for joining us. It was great talking with you. No worries. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it.